0: Hello, welcome to episode 39 of GBW. My name is Chris. With me is Josh. Hi. How you feel, Josh? I feel weird. Why? I don't know, man. I carved up. Carb-loaded. <laughs> no, <laughs> you should feel good because this is episode 39.
1: I know, man. We're going to have... be
0: out of your dreaded
1: 30s. Yeah, but 39, man, that's like three and then three times three. Oh, jeez. Man. And it's also three times 13.
0: Wow, you've got some really bad issues with threes. I do. I really do. (laughs) Anyway, I'll be glad when we're into the 40s. Well, there you go. I wasn't glad when I was into my 40s, but that's another story. We shouldn't reveal our ages, man. I think people already know, dude. Um, So today we're going to be doing a top 10 episode for you where Josh and I have both come up with our individual lists of our top 10 favorite vampire movies. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a great... That was a great (laughs) imitation of a vampire that sounded like you were like a friggin, I don't know, some sort of lioness or something. (laughs) So let's start off with uh, what we've been watching here. Okay. And why don't you uh, throw out the first title? Okay, well, I think I'm going to throw out a title we both viewed,
1: Chris. Really? Yeah. What's that? It's called Hooper. Oh, Hooper. Didn't you write down Hooper? Yes, I wrote down Hooper. Okay. So Hooper is a film from 19... (laughs) Seventy-eight. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Starring because I use the word film when I'm talking about Hooper. It's a movie. That's true. I guess big difference. Okay, so Hooper is a movie from 1978, directed by Hal Needham, starring b- our beloved Burt Reynolds. Yep. So this is one of the many movies that they uh, worked on together with Hal Needham directing and Burt as the star. And um, this was kind of at the pinnacle of Burt's career, I'd say. This was right at, This was after Smokey and the Bandit. Before Cannonball Run, so this was right kind of in the middle, in the thick of things.
0: Yeah, they did this right after they finished making Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. So this would be like after Hooper, I think he did uh, Smokey and the Bandit 2. Yeah. And yeah, this was like pretty much his
1: peak. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, I have really fond memories of this one as a child. Um, So the premise is that Burt Reynolds plays a stuntman. Yep. And um, he's... I guess kind of an aging stuntman. Not that he's really looks... He's I guess he's in his 40s at this point. And um, he's doing his thing. And there's an up-and-coming younger stuntman played by Jan Michael Vincent. Called Ski. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically Bert and Ski, or Bert and Jan, um, kind of competing. Cooper and Ski. But I didn't find they were really competing that much. I think
0: much. it was just like... Every- Bert was just kind of like his character Hooper is just kind of like looking at the ski guy like with just like a raised eyebrow. Yeah, like oh, you think you're so hot, but I can I can do better than you, and I'm I'm the old dude. But, but he is
1: he is definitely getting older. <laughs> He's like shooting up stuff with up with Percocet, and there's lots of
0: jokes about yeah. There's Percocets. lots of drunk driving as usual for a <laughs> yeah, Hell Needham movie. Lots of drunk driving, like. Cannonball had drunk driving. This has drunk driving. I'm pretty yep. sure that Smokey and the Bandit had drunk driving because they're friggin' trying to like sneak Coors Light over the friggin' state lines in that movie. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and Bert sure loved his Coors, and Coors definitely makes an appearance in here. Yeah. We have uh, yeah a lot of Coors product placement. We even have a horse
0: drinking Coors. I think I'll need them. <laughs> Probably got some pretty wicked kickbacks from, from Coors. <laughs> I know. But uh, I actually drank Coors for a while just because of Bert. Really? Coors is like piss water, dude. It is, but I did drink Coors for a was bit. Was it Coors or Coors Light? It was Coors. Okay. Light. No, it was Coors Light, I think. Oh, okay. So you're even more of a pussy than I originally <laughs> well, thought. Well, I was you
1: were. young, man. I was young and impressionable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the opening scene of this movie is like Cooper pulling off this like motorcycle stunt and then like from there the plot doesn't have a plot.
1: Which wasn't, it didn't seem to be a very, it wasn't like a super, it wasn't like, cause a it's like, like this big buildup where he's getting dressed and there's like this heroic music playing. Yeah. I always remember that scene and then it's like building up to this stunt
0: and it, I didn't find it to be. All he does is like hit a curb and go flying into some, some bushes.
1: Well, he like goes under a truck.
0: Yeah. And then hits a curb and goes, yeah. and, nothing big. Nothing big, big. Yeah. And then later he'll do, he does a stunt where he like, is going down like this zip line, holding a dog and yeah. falls off of it. And he just does all these cheesy kind of stunts. But that's the main thing I liked about this movie was that it was about stuntmen. And it was just kind of like a, a goofy side of stuntmen because you know, Hal Needham was a stuntman originally. Yeah. Bert did a lot of his own stunts back in the day also. So, and I love
1: Stuntman. This is, this is probably, I think this is the movie that really got me into Stuntman um like i I, i've always had a thing for stuntmen and i was i've always been quite fascinated by them and the history of them and you know big stunts and so forth but i think this is the movie that really tweaked that in me because i was probably like eight when i saw this for the first time but um yeah it's it's a a good flick there's also a really fun bar fight in it with um terry bradshaw and uh bob tessier and you know bob tessier is a bald guy and he's been he's usually plays like a biker, or a tough guy. But you totally recognize him if you're a fan of '80s movies. And I thought that was a pretty, a pretty fun scene. We have Brian Keith as like the older stunt man that um, Bert learned from, so it's kind of like three generations.
0: And then uh, George Firth, who also showed up in Cannonball Run, he yeah. was the guy in Cannonball Run who wanted to shut down the race. He's in this too, yeah, as like the uh, I think he was like the producer. He wasn't, in a lot. I, no, he wasn't in it a lot he sort a lot of popped in a lot of people tend to like flow in and out of Hal Needham movies yeah. I've noticed and a
1: lot of it takes place on a film set and you've got this totally like narcissistic director played by Robert Klein I really liked him he was a, he was a great part of the movie yeah and Sally Field plays Hooper's uh,
0: wife Sally Field looked good in this movie his tolerant wife yeah this was right after they were in Smoking the Bandit too, and I just read Burt's bio his memoir actually and he said that they had to like really, really push Sally Field to be in the original Smokey and the Bandit because she thought she was above those kind of movies. Well, she
1: was. I mean, Norma <laughs> Ray came out right after this and she won, I think she won an Oscar for that. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was nice seeing her in short shorts with her butt hanging out and tight t-shirts and no bra. I was quite happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, Josh.
1: <laughs> oh, and you weren't okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't really, I don't really like Sally Field that much. Oh, she looked uh, good in this movie. She's cute. <laughs> it was just like a totally plotless, typical Hal Needham movie, though. It's like, I'm a stuntman. I'm going to set up all these set pieces, and there's going to be no plot. Yeah. And But that last set piece where they were doing the big elaborate stunt where they were driving through all the things exploding and cars crashing yeah. and like, these big uh, towering Smoke chimney f- yeah. smokestacks falling down, that was kind of cool. It was pretty cool. It was all shot
1: at, I think, like an abandoned hospital or something, and uh, they just destroyed it. But um, an interesting thing about the last part is... Um, the, you know, this isn't really a spoiler because it's what the whole movie's about, but um, they're, they're trying to do this, like, crazy stunt with this, like, rocket car that shoots over, like, a river or something. And he did that in real
0: life. Hell need him. Did he? Yeah. Really? Yeah, like, there was a there was a scene in a movie where he had to jump it off a bridge and land on the back of a barge. Okay. And so he was like, I'll do that stunt. And then he ended up, like, the back half didn't quite land on it because they didn't time it right. So it's like, he could have drowned in the car. That's in his bio. Okay. So it's like, they did take a lot of stuff that he had experienced. I noticed from his memoir and put it into this movie too. Well, I think it was, I think this stunt was based more on
1: a movie, uh, a Canadian stuntman actually known as the mad Canadian and his name is Ken Carter. And there's actually quite a fascinating documentary about him called the devil at your heels. Um, and it was made in 1976, and it's all about him trying to do this stunt where he shoots a ro- like drives a rocket powered car over a river, and I think it's I think it might be the Saint Lawrence River in Canada, but um, it's quite quite a cool uh, documentary to check out. It's on the National Film Board website if you're interested. I'll maybe try and put a link up on our website, but I actually feel like they they maybe kind of rip rip that whole story off a bit for this final thing. But overall, yeah, like Chris said, I mean, this was this reminded me a lot of, like, Cannonball Run, just with the plotlessness
0: of it all. I think I enjoy Cannonball Run more, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this didn't hold up the way I remember it, but uh, it was still kind of fun. But uh, Yeah, it had its
0: moments, and it, it just kind of dragged a bit in the middle, I thought. And, total uh, time capsule, though. Yeah, it's a total time capsule. And man. just, like, seeing, like, you know, Bert and the gang, just like, like we said earlier... Driving around drunk. They're like getting pulled over by the cops and they're like friggin' swigging cores right in front of the cop. <laughs> totally. You know, <laughs> and. and- you know, every every time Bert gets up in the morning, he's popping like three Percocets, like Josh said. So yeah, it's it's one of those kind of movies.
1: Yeah, and it's got it's got some pretty good cameos as well, like Bert's doubling Adam West. Yep, and Adam West is playing himself, and he, I thought he was pretty hilarious. And uh, it also has uh, James Best from uh, Duke's, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane. He's like one of Bert's gang, and yeah, and Brian Keith was really good. So it's it's a fun flick, and uh, I, it was worth like the ten dollar Blu ray. But I, I don't know if I'll be checking it out weekly or anything. But uh um, it's yeah, it, it was it's, it was pretty fun. I think the, I'll feel the same way about smoking in the Bandit when I revisit it.
0: In the it. canon of eighties Burt movies, it's or late seventies, early eighties Burt movies, it's better than Stroker Ace. That's all you need <laughs> to true. know. That's true. That's <laughs> true.
1: It's a fun movie. If you have interest in
0: Stuntman, it's it's worth checking out. Okay. Um First movie I want to mention now you've cut me down I only have two more movies to mention here. Um I watched a movie called Rogue Kill which is also known as Elephant White. <laughs> right. And it's from uh Prachap Pina- It's from Dollarama. It's a Dollar special, yeah. But it's uh directed by the guy who made Ong Back and right. uh The Protector. So it's like a tie it's like a his American debut kind of because it's a, it's English actors for the most part. It's set in Thailand. It's basically uh, is TJ in it? No, Tony Jaw's not in it. <laughs> uh, it's got I can't say this guy's name. I'm gonna fuck this up, and I know it. Uh, Jimon Hansu from uh, Amistad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to say his name, but he plays an assassin in it, and he's hired to like go kind of rescue his client's daughter from like this ring of like underage prostitution and drugs and stuff. So he kind of makes it his personal vendetta to stop this going on through, all throughout Thailand. And uh, Kevin Bacon's in it as, like, this British arms dealer. And his accent is really bad in this movie. Like, he can't pull off this British accent. It's like he watched, like... a, he It's like he watched Monty Python, basically. <laughs> it was like, good day, govnat, chip, chip, cheerio, cheerio. And it's like... The only thing I liked about his character is, like... He's like supposed to be this badass who's an arms dealer, but he, in his actual warehouse, he has like all these rep, all these prop guns from movies because that's his thing. He's like into collecting guns from movies that are like prop guns. Really? Does he and, have
1: like cool ones? Or? Yeah, he's got
0: them all like displayed and stuff. It's kind of cool. Okay, like the way he did that, but um, it's like a stylish movie, just like Ong back and all those were, but the plot did nothing for me. Yeah. And the action was, it's one of those action movies where I'm like, okay, there's some pretty good f- brawls in it. But for the most part, it's our main character looking down a scope and shooting people, like sniping people. And I find that if it's not Tom Berenger and Billy Zane doing it, I find <laughs> it incredibly boring. You know, like, yeah. like, like no thanks, right? Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I, it wasn't that great. I. Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. It's... I just watched it because I was like, hey, Dollarama. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, Kevin Bacon, he's always pretty solid, but this is probably one of his uh, least memorable movies for a reason.
1: Yeah, it's one of those ones I would have picked up at Dollarama and then put back. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: knowing me, you know me, $3, Blu-ray, okay. <laughs> so That's true. There's uh, Elephant White. But, speaking of which, I I watched Assault on Wall Street
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. That you talked about. Yeah. And that movie, this is the Uwe Ball movie that Chris was talking about last episode. And it was way harsher than
0: I was expecting. This was like... I told you it was Uwe Ball being like pretty serious for the most part.
1: Yeah. This was like killing spree stuff going on. And uh, yeah, I was quite surprised by it. But I'm I'm surprised it's not more controversial. But anyway,
0: I digress. I think his Rampage movies are more controversial. Yeah. So anyway... Um, I might as well just finish mine off Because you said you had a ton I went and I uh, decided And it's not because There's the <laughs> new Zack Snyder movie coming out I went and I watched the 1989 Batman Oh weird Like the Tim Burton one Right Because I was like Oh I have it on Blu-ray I'm like I remember Okay the story behind Batman is When that movie was coming out I was 14 years old that was the fucking event movie that year. Like that was the movie where every kid I knew was like friggin' basically creaming themselves over Batman. <laughs> right. They're like, Holy shit. Batman's coming out. It looks fucking awesome. Yeah. You had your Batman shirts with the logo on it. And you just couldn't wait to go see it. Right. Right. And I liked it at the time. I loved it at the time. Cause I'm a 14 year old kid. Yeah. Over time. I've come to appreciate it. So, The thing about Tim Burton is, I can he's for me he's like a love him or hate him kind of deal, right? Like some of his movies I really really like, and then stuff like fucking Planet of the Apes and stuff. Yeah, he can just you know who gives a shit. Like I won't watch his Alice in Wonderland movie because I don't care. Yeah, you know I don't care about pretty much everything he's done recently. I don't care about. Didn't he do Dark Shadows? Yeah, like Dark Shadows don't care about. But when he first started out, he had a really good style. Like. I know you don't really like beetlejuice that much yeah but the style of beetlejuice is really great yeah agreed and he did a good job with that you know Pee Wee's big adventure i love that movie he's got like tim burton has a very distinct kind of off kilter wacky style to him yeah definitely so i thought he was like kind of a good pick to do this first batman movie because this is when batman kind of became like this is an adam west running around saying hand me the shark repellent and stuff. This is like dark Batman. This is... Hand me the shark repellent? Yeah, like in the in the Batman 66 <laughs> movie. Yeah. There's a part in the Batman 66 movie when he's <laughs> hanging from the Batcopter and a shark bites his leg and is hanging from his leg and it's this really? rubber shark and he's punching it in the face and he's like, Robin, hand me the shark repellent. So Robin comes down the ladder and does like his gymnastics hanging upside down shit to hand... <laughs> batman the shark repellent he sprays the shark in the face with it it falls off his leg drops in the water and explodes
1: i don't think i've ever seen that. have you never seen 66? i've seen the
0: tv series quite a bit Dude, but- the movie is fucking gold <laughs> gold i i got the blu-ray don't worry you're watching it okay um but i thought tim burton is a really good choice for this and You know, Michael Keaton does what he has to do as Batman. He's pretty, like, stoic and everything. There's that famous scene in the opening when the people have mugged someone, and they're on the rooftop counting the money, and he comes down and, like, beats him up, and he does that, I'm Batman, you know, that kind of thing. But the thing I like most about this movie is that the production design is amazing. Yeah. Like, they've made Gotham City into, like, this industrial wasteland kind of look where it's all dark and gritty and, like, you know, there's steam coming up from everywhere, and it's just, like, really like really dark and uh it's inspired a lot by frank miller's dark knight returns comic book series that came out in 1986 okay that's like the known as being the iconic thing that made batman into a dark hero like made him more path gave him a darker pathos and made him more like brutal in a way right right and um the production design was by this guy anton first and uh when i was looking into it he'd he had done production design a full metal jacket and he he was like an artist guy but uh i guess he was trying to become a director and wasn't getting anywhere after batman and then they wouldn't let him come and work on batman returns oh and then he ended up committing suicide really like two years after batman yikes which is a sad story but uh his production design was really good in this and uh Jack Nicholson plays the Joker, yeah, and he's just completely over the top. But it worked for me. Like I actually think I prefer Jack Nicholson Joker to Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah, because like Heath Ledger Joker, you know, he was Heath Ledger did a pretty good job, but I want my Joker to be more vaudevillian. I want him to be more of a of a a cartoon. Yeah. Whereas I felt like in the Nolan ones, like the Joker was just too messed up like jokers always had those issues like he's mental issues but they made him just too on the side of psychological yeah then the clown prince of crime which is what joker's supposed to be yeah i didn't like the heath ledger joker i thought nicholson had a lot of like he was over the top and it was fun and i was down with that yeah and uh billy d williams plays harvey dent does he yeah so I, was, I haven't seen this since. I'm expecting out. him to walk around with a Colt 45 beating up women, but he didn't do it in this movie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, Kim Basinger is fucking awful in this movie, dude. Yeah, like awful. Like she was never really a good actress, but almost every time in the last, like in the last half of this movie, almost every time she's on screen, she's screaming. Oh, okay. And it gets on my. It got on my nerves so bad. Yeah I just wanted to slap her Through the whole Second (laughs) half of this movie Okay Billy D. Williams Uh, Hey Give me my cool 45 And um The Prince Soundtrack Terrible It's the worst thing Oh yeah That was a big deal At the time It's the worst thing Prince has ever done though Like those songs Are horrible man Like When he did that Bat Dance song and he took quotes from the movie and made it into like (laughs) this, get a job, funk off, Batman. (laughs) And then they had the thing where it's like, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, okay, Prince, no. (laughs) Like, come on, dude. So I think I like Batman Returns more. But when I revisited this movie, I do appreciate what they were trying to do with it. And I mean, obviously, I'm not going to have the kind of like, excitement i had when i was 14 but like all these years later i actually think it's a very solid superhero movie and i think it's worth watching if you're into batman for sure i didn't like this when i came out um but i i do think i'd probably like it quite a bit now yeah it's it's, it's yeah it's way darker than you're expecting yeah and it's balanced by like jo- uh jack nicholson just going so over the top yeah so yeah it's fun cool now i'll it's check fun. that out again
1: yeah right on well, I too have a Tim Burton movie to discuss really? that you've already mentioned, because I revisited Beetlejuice in the wake of the ah. recent announcement that there's a sequel coming out. Ah. Um, and yeah, I never liked Beetlejuice. Didn't like Beetlejuice back in the day. Don't like Beetlejuice now. <laughs> <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. But you know, like you said, I really, I do do really appreciate Tim Burton's uh, style at that time. Um, he was, he was really, really creative, you know, and, and in Beetlejuice, you know, you were seeing all kinds of influences from Ray Harryhausen to like, um, the, um, you know, movies like, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and, a lot of animatronic stuff, um, a lot of stop motion. Yeah, like um, those sandworms. Yeah, and I, I and I was watching it going, wow, you know, like this, this is pretty cool that he was able to pull this off at that time. Because, I mean, this stuff looks pretty cheesy, but it also reminds me a lot of stuff I love from when I was a kid. So it was pretty interesting that he was able to get away with this style of filmmaking
0: and for that I'll, I'll give him props. Well and for the sure. way that he did it too like it's it's basically a movie about people being dead. Yeah. And trying to get their house back and everything and and all those effects and everything were just so vibrant and like cartoony oh, yeah. and, and childlike. It was like a childlike wonder that he brought to Beetlejuice and I think that helps the movie quite a lot. Yeah, and I and I really did love all all the effects and stuff. By the way, effects by
1: Robert Short. Who won an Oscar for this? The same <laughs> Robert Short that did the uh chopping mall chopping ball robots the same Robert Short that I was yapping with in in a in a store in Los Angeles not even knowing who the fuck I was talking to and now I also realize he's an Oscar winner so that was pretty awesome. But what were you talking to him about, Josh? I was talking about the man from Uncle. Yeah. Because he was curating a man from Uncle display. Yeah. But had I known oh <laughs> if I could go down now, holy that would be a much different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um Okay, so the thing about, you know, and Winona Ryder was really great in this. I mean, she was 17 and oh so cool. I mean, this was full-on goth Winona Ryder, and, and I loved her at the time. Yeah, this
0: was, like, just before she did Heathers.
1: Yeah. Alec Baldwin, I couldn't believe how young he was. Like, he looked just so different. And uh, I thought he was really great, and I thought Gina Davis is really great. I really wish she, she's sort of making a little bit of a comeback now, and, like, she's starting to act again, but... She really did have a pretty good
0: run there. Well, in that, that stretch in the late eighties, yeah. like the fly and Beetlejuice and
1: the long kiss. Goodnight. night. Yeah. Like girls, I like
0: earth girls are easy. I liked her. I had Carlin a super movie. crush on Gina Davis in the eighties.
1: Louise. Like she was a really great actress yeah. and I, she was really great in this too. And yeah, I, I kind of miss her. <laughs> um, the thing i didn't like about this movie i did not like jeffrey jones and it's just you know the man's got a stigma now and it's all i could think about especially when him and winona were on the screen at the same time um
0: wow
1: it's true man i mean i'm sorry but i i can't ferris bueller's different now and this is different now because of him um you know what can i say um i'm not a fan of
0: pedophiles um (laughs) I don't think anyone is. Yeah, I know, but it really, it kind of dims yeah, Dims yeah. him for no, see. me. It's like trying to listen to, like, uh, Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter. You just can't do it. It really anymore. does. And
1: the Jeepers Creepers movies yeah. are really creepy now. But um, I guess the the, uh, the the Elfman score, too, the Danny Elfman score, it really made me realize how important that was to the whole Burton
0: thing as well. Well, yeah, same with Batman. Danny oh, yeah. Elfman did the music at Batman, and you know that's the music i think of danny elfman's theme is the music i think of when i think of these modern day batman yeah. movies so
1: that was so important i think for burton's career because it really married well with the imagery um i also uh like that dick cavett was in this i thought he was pretty funny in his in his small role um i'm not a fan of beetlejuice himself though like michael keaton well, I like Michael Keaton, but I just didn't like the character. I actually like the
0: movie Beetlejuice, but I really like the cartoon. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that,
1: and uh, I'd like to check that out. But I, uh, in this movie, I just thought he was. Yeah, I mean, I, he's supposed to be obnoxious and stuff, but I just liked. I didn't. You know, when he popped up, I was kind of like annoyed, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. But um, I it's a good, it's a fun flick overall. But it's just, uh, I just wish it was. I wish that, that main the main character that you're supposed to be paying attention to was
0: something I liked more. Yeah, but he's not in it like a whole heck of a lot, really. He's
1: not in it a lot, but he is the type of But when of he is movie. in it, you're
0: like, oh fuck.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like
0: Beetlejuice more than you, but Yeah. You know. I didn't hate it, but
1: um yeah, there it has yeah, I just yeah, like image wise
0: it's another one of those movies where like if at the time you liked it the carryover is probably pretty good on it. Like I liked it when it first came out. Yeah. So that's probably why I like it still now more than you probably did. Cause I don't, you didn't really like it when it first came out, did you?
1: Well, and also, I mean, at that time in my life, I mean, I was kind of a rebel rousing teenager and, uh, mm. movies weren't my top, top, uh, priority at that point. Um, so I don't, I don't think I saw this theatrically. I don't know when I saw it for the first time. I don't think I saw it as a kid though. Hmm. Yeah, so maybe that's part of it. Could though. be. Maybe it was just timing. Could be. But it was still, it's still like stylistically, I totally appreciate it. It's just, uh, I, I just um, was didn't connect with everyone that I wanted to.
0: <laughs> All right. But Winona looked good. Fair enough. Yeah. Plus, she kicked ass in Heather's the next the year later. So. She did. Yeah.
1: Okay, so next up, um, I'm going to talk about a couple that I've reviewed for the website, the Video Graveyard. Okay. The first is called The Witches. Um this is a Hammer film from 1966 directed by Cyril Frankel, uh, who hasn't really done anything too noteworthy that I could see. Um it's starring uh, Joan Fontaine in her uh she was kind of a bigger star of old Hollywood. Um m- most notable for being in some Hitchcock films, uh, Rebecca and Suspicion. Um and this was her last movie. And she she plays the role of a of this woman who uh um ran into some witch doctors in in africa and had a bit, a bit of a breakdown and then tried to get her life back together so went to teach at this small town in england and this is like one of those small towns that you just don't want to go to <laughs> if you're driving around in England. You know, it's like one of those like straw dogs towns. When or, you drive
0: okay. in a town and everyone's just looking at you as you drive by. Yeah. You're just like, like, no, keep going.
1: Yeah, like the total like everyone's up to something but you don't know what and you feel like an outsider. So like yeah, real real kind of straw dogs feel a real wicker man feel here. Um but she rolls with it and starts teaching and um she she starts to you know sense that something's a little awry in the town but she can't quite put a finger on it um there's this kind of weird girl in her class um um uh named linda rigg and she's kind of like a little off kilter and there's also a a boy in the class that likes linda rigg and um you know she connects with these kids a little bit and um she also connects with this um journalist that um does writing on some, you know, weird shit like witchcraft and that type of thing. Anyway, um, Linda Rigg, she starts to figure out that Linda Rigg's maybe being abused at home. Um, and then, you know, one thing leads to another. Eventually the Linda Rigg's boyfriend, this other kid, falls ill and then she finds like a voodoo doll with all these pins in it. So, you know, something's clearly up and then she has another breakdown and disappears for a year and then comes back to the town and, um, Basically, everything's revealed, and there's a coven of witches, etc., cetera, et cetera, Um, So this is, you know, it was an interesting take for Hammer. It wasn't all, like, sexy like a lot of the Hammer movies. It wasn't uh, a period piece, particularly? No, no. It was set in, in I I believe it would have been set at the time it was filmed, so, like, the 60s. But it was, you know, it was it had that kind of small-town thing, so it kind of was a bit period in the way people were acting just because it's a small town. It wasn't like all metropolitan London or anything. Um, I really liked this Linda Rigg character. She was played by a a model named Ingrid Bolting. Um, She was, yeah, she was, she was really good, like really good in her role and just playing this kind of awkward teen. And uh, she, she went on to um, star in a movie called the last tycoon with Robert De Niro based on a book by F. F. Scott Fitzgerald and directed by Elia Kazan. Um, and that was kind of her main claim to fame. And um, and she's uh, running a yoga studio now. But anyway, I really, I really dug her in this movie. Um, she was kind of the high point for me. Um, there was also a big scene at the end where like the Coven of Witches basically have a ritual uh, at which this Ingrid Bolting is kind of the center of it all. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's got all these like Cult type followers, and they like start doing this weird dance to drumming. And then they like whip out this stuff that looks like chocolate pudding and start rubbing it all over themselves. Oh. And then they're all like rolling around on the floor. And oh. it, it was a real nice payoff. Like, I did enjoy this because the actors were
0: all really, really into it.
1: Um, there was that also finale
0: sounds like the kind of finale Bill Cosby could get behind, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> what Bill always wanted Jello Pudding to be doing. Um, yeah. Did you remember pudding pops?
0: If you don't eat the pudding pops, you won't grow <laughs> up big and strong. That's I my, used to love pudding. That's pops. That's my terrible Bill Cosby impression. <laughs> really, you know. Now we can't look at pudding pops the same either, <laughs> especially the chocolate ones. <laughs> Your pudding <laughs> pop has been tainted. <laughs>
1: um, but one of the yeah, one of the cult members is played by Michelle Dotrice, who um, she was in a cool movie called "And Soon the Darkness" um, for fans of Euro cinema. Um, another, the, the, the kid I was talking about, the one that falls ill was played by Martin Stevens. He was the, um, he was like the lead bad kid in village of the damned. Oh, okay, yep. So it had a lot of cool actors in it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's worth checking out. It's not one of hammer's best movies, but it's, it's, it's definitely a fun flick. If you're into that kind of like creepy town, weird shit going on. And if you're into like people rubbing chocolate pudding all over each other.
0: So, I, I I find when Hammer steps away from their, like, um, period piece kind of trappings, the movies are always kind of, they might not be the best, but there was, like, just an interesting kind of, like, like Dracula AD, mm. like, 1972 AD. Not a good movie, really, because it's, like, Dracula hanging out with mods and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it's, like, it's interesting because you get... S- you get so used to hammer movies being these period pieces that when they do something that steps away from that, it kind of like holds your interest no matter what. Yeah. Because you're just so used to these, you know, 1800s big costume kind of movies. And, and I haven't heard of the witches before you mentioned it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the only, the, the only other one I remember, like, cause everyone knows the, the Christopher Lee stuff, like the Dracula movies, the Frankenstein movies. And then there's like the reptile. Yeah. Like that's another one that I'd probably put with the witches. That's kind of like not a lot of people know it, but it's actually a lot better than you might think.
1: Yeah, Hammer flicks are always pretty fun. I mean, they have a good reputation for a reason. And in this period where Hammer was really kind of rocking, um, every, everything was pretty good. Like, it was always decent. Like, even this would probably be, like, a lower-grade Hammer movie, but it was still pretty fucking enjoyable, right? So kind of
0: like Paranoiac with Oliver Reed or something like that.
1: Yeah, I always get a kick out of Hammer movies, like, even even the sh- shittier ones. And I, I don't know where I'd rank this on the Hammer scale, but it's not, not a shitty one by, by any stretch, but it's... Uh, not one of their best but it's it's fun it's worth checking out it actually comes on a double feature. well it used to come on a double feature dvd and it was actually played as a double feature with prehistoric women which would have been a pretty fun double feature i think so anyway that's the witches um i also did a review of the black cat from 1981 directed by lucio fulci yeah have you seen this one nope yeah it, this is okay so this is one of the like lesser Praised, <laughs> Fulci movies, and um, I kind of get it. <laughs> like I, I, it, it's not one of my favorites. Like if you're, if you think of Fulci and you think of the Beyond and City of the Living Dead and and zombie, then you're you're probably not going to dig this. So you're thing.
0: saying the Black Cat is on the level of Murder Rock.
1: Yeah, it's, it's more, it's more on the Murder Rock level. Like yeah, there's, there's not a lot of gore. Um surprisingly the score from this movie um, was driving me freaking bananas. Like I was just getting super annoyed with it. And it wasn't, um, it was a famous oh man. I didn't, sorry, I didn't make a note of it. It's another one of the famous composers. It wasn't Fabio Fritzi though. And, uh, but it was just really kind of jarring and loud. I was just like, was like, turn that fucking score down. <laughs> and um, it stars, you know, it stars David Warbeck. He's plays a cool guy cop as he always does. Patrick McGee is, like, this creepy old guy who, um Patrick McGee was in, like, Tales from the Crypt and Clockwork. He plays a creepy old guy. Yeah, Clockwork Orange. But um he's, like, this creepy old guy who, like, puts, like, <laughs> recording devices into graves so he can, like, communicate with the dead. It's just, it's just, like, weird side plot, but that's kind of his thing. And then we have Mimsy Farmer show up and... Mimsy Farmer was in like Autopsy and uh, Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. She shows up. She's like a photographer, and she <laughs> shows up in this town, and then just you know just goes into a crypt and starts photographing shit, and then eventually gets hired by David Warbeck to to like photograph crime scenes and stuff. So it's just like all really typical Fulci. Everything's just kind of random. Like yeah. Then then we get this this cat kind of. There's a black cat, obviously, kind of lurking around and. It just does weird shit. Like, there's this, like, girl and this guy that are, like, making out in this boathouse. And, you know, of course, the girl gets topless. And they're, you know, and it's it's really kind of a sleazy scene. Because you can just see the guy's just bringing her to this boathouse to get laid. And then the cat somehow, like, blocks off, like, the airflow into the... <laughs> Into the boat house, so they like weirdly suffocate and like. how's does the cat
0: do that? Does he like push a box in front of it? Or yeah, he like it?
1: does something where he like stops the fan or something. But it's just really again kind of random, and these two just die, and it's, it's it's kind of a grisly death, and you know foam coming out of the mouths, and just makes her really unsexy all of a sudden when she's topless with foam coming out of her mouth. <laughs>
0: Anyway, <laughs> not 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 less sexy to Bill Cosby, but to normal <laughs> people maybe he wasn't into that, was he? Well, oh, I mean, if he's drugged them oh, and there's foam coming out of their yeah, mouth, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, enough with the Bill Cosby. <laughs> the scores by Pino Danajo.
1: Yeah, Pino Danajo usually does good good stuff, but this one was just didn't work for me at all. Um. So the cat's kind of going around doing its thing. And it also, like, there's also this drunk guy. And the cat starts stalking the, this drunk guy. And then he eventually, like goes into this like abandoned building it's like starts climbing around on the beams trying to escape from the cat and fucking believe me i dealt with this crazy ass cat over christmas that and i i I know what it's like to be scared of a cat because this this cat i was cat sitting was fucking terrifying so i get it because you know most people would be like well what why would he be like running around and hiding trying to like escape from a cat and beams in an abandoned building If I was him, I'd probably be doing the same thing if this crazy-ass cat was chasing me. Anyway, the crazy-ass cat, like, chases him enough to, like, make him fall off the beam and get impaled, of course, on a bunch of metal rods. (laughs) So there's, like, there is a few, like, scenes like that. There's also uh, another scene where there's... I can't remember. I think the cat must have caused this car accident. But this guy, like, goes shooting through the window of the car. And then, of course, the car catches on fire and we get to watch the corpse burn. So there there is... Some Fulci scenes are just not quite as intense as we're we're used to. There's also a really funny scene where Warbeck is like downtown in the city and he gets attacked by the cat. But like it then all of a sudden it seems like there's like 20 cats because it's like cat You know, he looks up. There's a cat on, like, the wall. And then he's like, oh, no. And then the cat, like, jumps down and scratches him. Then he, like, turns to the right. There's another cat. (laughs) It jumps down. So it's like eight cats jumping on David Warbeck, (laughs) scratching him. And it looks like he dies. But then miraculously, he then shows up again. And then we get an ending that is probably the only part from the Edgar Allan Poe this <laughs> this movie was supposedly based on, and then we get the ending that you know fans of that book will will understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not my favorite Fulci film by any stretch. And uh, it's funny because I listened to the commentary um, by Chris Alexander from Fangoria, and he loves this movie. So uh, I, I tried to get into it a little more from that perspective, but no. Um I'm going to stick with other movies for Fulci. He can do way better than this and uh but you know you know even on IMDb there seems to be a lot of people trying to like this movie. I just don't think it's a very good movie, but I can see people maybe trying to force this as being like one of, you know, a misunderstood classic or something. Cinematography was pretty cool. Like it was a different setting for Fulci as well. It was a lot of mist and, you know, kind of mood going on, but I just didn't think it was, you know, any sort of masterpiece. That sounds something. better
0: than Murder Rock.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I got to revisit Murder Rock. I'm trying to get through all these full cheese again, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to stick
0: with the, uh, the the terrible trilogy. Well, there. him him sitting, him using like mist and all that stuff isn't a new thing because he used that a lot in uh in uh, what he called City of the Living Dead. So yeah, yeah, he did. But so it's not really a new thing. It was for just him. a
1: different it it just was a different kind of feel for Fulci. Mm. Um, like it was trying to be a little more gothic, I think, but...
0: Well, you've established the main thing about Fulci that everybody knows is that his movies don't make a hell of a lot of sense. No,
1: they don't. So... But usually, you you know, you're going into a Fulci movie and you're getting all these like wicked set pieces. And yeah. That didn't happen in this one. Okay. It had some moments, but I don't know. It's it's worth a one-off one for Fulci completists, but I won't be going back to this one for Fulci. That's for sure. All right. Um very briefly, um, just a call back to our werewolf episode, I watched Werewolf of Watching Washington. And um this one stars um Dean Stockwell as this like presidential aide who like um for some reason he's in Europe and he gets attacked by this gypsy werewolf <laughs> thing and gets the curse, of course. Um and then he goes back to Washington, and he's a
0: presidential aide who. Okay, get the fuck out, werewolf of Washington. He goes back to Washington. Yeah, Holy he does. Holy shit!
1: Uh, and and it's just this movie's just fucking cheap ass. Like <laughs> it seems like yeah, it's 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 so cheap. It felt like. Like it felt like like dolomite budget level, like it was just it just felt really cheap. But then you've got Dean Stockwell, and you've got the guy from uh, you haven't seen it yet, but the guy from Live and Let Die, that annoying redneck guy. I can't remember the actor's name, but um, and it's just it's just like scenes of him with the president, and they're like it's trying to be a political satire, and then but then he'll just keep turning into a werewolf. And I got to give Stockwell props. I mean, he did a really He did a really good job here and, you know, he'd be, like, in a meeting with all the, like, president, like, in a, like, a meeting with the cabinet or whatever and he'd be starting to twitch and he'd be, like, turning into a werewolf and he'd be doing weird things with his mouth and he'd have hair on his hands and he'd be trying to, like, sneak out of the room. But everything was... Everything it was just so... This sounds like a fucking
0: Disney movie. It was so oddly paced. It sounds like
1: the shaggy dog. It was weird, man. It This was a weird movie. And uh, like the, the one scene I... T- <laughs> There's two scenes I remember quite clearly. One is um, he <laughs> he was having a conversation with the president in the president's bowling alley because apparently the White House has a bowling alley in it. So they, of course, use this. So they're having this conversation and the president's bowling and then the ball gets stuck. So they like do this weird like walk down to the end where, you know, where the ball goes in, but they walk in the gutter. So they're doing this kind of weird shuffle down, like it's just so bizarre. Right. And it's like the president and his aide doing the shuffle down the gutter. And then they crawl underneath and, like, pull the ball out. Like, there's no reason. You know, I'm thinking, okay, the thing's going to come down and crush its head or something. Nope. Then they do the shuffle back. And then... (laughs) stockwell goes to bowl but i guess he's starting to turn into a werewolf so his hand gets stuck (laughs) in the ball because his fingers are engorged and then it's just like this kind of like weird comedy scene of him trying to get the ball off his hand and he can't and then the president has to like come over and pull i it sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous but it's it's one of those scenes that you're just watching like what the fuck How, (laughs) how are they thinking this then we get then we get this other scene and it's one of the werewolf attacks and it's like this this black guy and this um this girl and it, you know I, I I totally don't want to generalize but it does kind of look like a pimp prostitute type situation. I think they're just hippies but anyway it, it, they're like just hanging out and then the girl goes to make a phone call in this phone booth. And then I don't know where Dean Stockwell shows up as the werewolf and just starts attacking them. And then he like knocks over the phone booth and he's like trying to paw at them. And it's just, it's just a really, again, it's just full of like weird scenes like this. There's another scene where like the Dean Stockwell, again, as werewolf goes into the, he's in the white house. And then he ends up in this like weird, like engine room. It looks like an engine room where like some like you know like a room with like pipes like kind of like an elm street movie room but it's bigger like kind of like in you're in an engine room in like a factory or a dam or something and he like attacks this guard and then he comes across like this midget who like looks like he's like got like this frankenstein creature with him and then like dean stockwell crouches down and he like starts licking the midget's face like totally weird like so it's full of weird scenes like this movie i didn't write it down dude like 70s i'd say early 70s yeah so it it sounds like an lsd trip it was weird and and i I bought this as part of elvira's movie macabre that shout factory put out and i watched it with the elvira scenes in it and thank god because i mean it kind of made it better (laughs) because i was just kind of looking forward to elvira but just looking back on it it was just full of weirdness but not, again not good but <laughs> kind of bizarre it would be a good drinking movie or a good yeah a good maybe a good bad movie night with a group but it was really low budget and weird and thank god for Stockwell he kind of saved this one so.
0: So, so, yeah I have this at home I'm really looking <laughs> forward to it now watch it with
1: someone or it's it's one to laugh at it's, oh. it's weird it's just a random it, it maybe it would be a good double bill with black cat <laughs> Uh, anyway, I don't
0: know about that. The
1: last one I'm going to mention is Sorceress from 1982. Um, this is another one I reviewed for the site. Wow, I've been busy. Yeah, even I did some. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a movie that was written by Jim Wynorski and pretend and it sounds like Jack Hill. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes on this movie. Um, I'm not quite sure who did what, but. Jim Wynorski's direct is uh, credited as the writer. Jack Hill's – well, he's not credited anymore. Jack Hill's credited as the producer. And Roger Corman's k- kids are credited as the uh, the um, director. So what, what? happened – What do you mean? Okay. So what happened is – okay, so this is a sword and sorcery movie. Um, basically what happened, Roger Corman saw Conan and said, fuck, we missed the boat here we got to get a movie like this out.
0: And then he made 40 movies. Like <laughs> exactly. But
1: he's, he's like, he went to Jim Wynorski. He's like, you need to write this movie. I want it done by next week. So Wynorski had a week to write a treatment or a script for this, wrote the script, gave it to Corman a week later. And they were in, going into production with Jack Hill as the director. Um, they decided to shoot in Mexico on a really tight time frame. Um, they went down there and they, they also hired these twin playmates, Lynn and and Lynette, um, Lynn and Lynette Harris, Um, Lee and Lynette Harris. They were these, uh, they were two uh, twin playboy playmates. They all went down to Mexico to shoot this movie. Um, And with John Carl Beekler doing effects. Um, So it sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. You've got, playboy playmate twins in the lead roles you've got way script you got jack hill produ- jack hill directing and beaker doing doing uh, effects um i guess what happened is jack hill was in this weird kind of religion kind of culty religion kind of yoga phase it sounded like and he was getting into this all this existential stuff so he was trying to make this like statement movie about like with a lot of religious aspects to it Whereas Corman just wanted a Conan knockoff. Um so I guess when they were down there, um Hill was trying to do all the stuff. Um Corman he brought it back. Corman was not happy with it, so Corman recut everything, cut down uh cut down Hill's um original like two hour delivered movie to like a seventy minute running time. And then he got Beekler to um create some effects that would look good in a trailer that they ended up so they ended up doing all these kind of new effects and then they did for the trailer then they ended up cutting them into the movie so it just became this kind of mess yeah and um, it's 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 too bad (laughs) I I, I don't know if it's from the sounds of it I don't think Hill's cut would have been that great it's really too bad because Hill's a pretty great director I mean he did Switchblade Sisters Coffee Foxy Brown um, Spider Baby Spider baby big bird cage. lots of cool stuff, and um, I it's it just sounds like he was in a weird time in his life, and this was the last movie he did because there was a big falling out with Corman after, um, and then this like recut mess of a movie. It's still kind of fun. Um, I really liked the twins. I'm really sad that they didn't make more movies. They they were only in they only made one other movie that I could find, and that's I the jury with. Um, uh, with Armando Sante, which is a it's a really sleazy Mike Hammer cop thriller, but it's kinda like ten to midnight sleazy. And um they play twins and I believe they dress up as clowns or something. But anyway, I digress
0: again. So um, um I, I the jury, um just in case all you Blu-ray people out there, like <laughs> you companies who seem to be f- riding on our coattails <laughs> want, want to put that movie out for us because uh, we were talking about Star Slammer not too long ago and it just got announced through Blu-ray. Yeah. So, uh, and this has happened in the past a couple times. So uh, we're beginning to think that maybe we're seers into the future of Blu-ray. We so,
1: really want I, the so, Jury. Eye the Jury, okay, please. <laughs> I, the Jury is awesome. Um, and I do remember these twins from I, the Jury as well. Yeah. But anyway, as action leads, they were pretty good, you know? And you know we're introduced to them with. How they
0: stack up to Lana Clarkson's Barbarian Queen, though.
1: I really like these girls. Oh, okay. I'm not a huge Lana Clarkson fan. Like I just don't like her the she's way. She's
0: really good in Barbarian Queen. She, though. She's good. She's like she keeps that movie afloat. No,
1: she's good. She's good in one of the Death Star. Was it one of the Death Stalker movies she was in.
0: Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was Death Stalker one. I anyway, one of those. <laughs> I, think that... De- I think it was. I think it was Death Stalker one. Yeah,
1: because she was really popular in one of the Death Stalker movies, and then she got her own series. Anyway, these girls were really good um, and fun. I liked one a bit more than the other one, which is weird because they were twins. But anyway, they were introduced as... as um, yeah, what's your problem, Josh? They were introduced in this naked in a lake swimming and then they come out of the water because there's this like really pervy, like satyr, you know, like a, one of those, you know, like half yeah. half horse, half man yeah. with fucking pan flute. Yeah. And he's like... He does this like bait. and he's like nyeh, nyeh, like that. He does this sound. That's like his only dialogue. So the whole movie, he's just like going, and he's got this like his, he's got buck teeth. So he like they come over, he, they come out of the water, and he's there like, nyeh, nyeh, and I guess one of the thing about satyrs is they some of them some of the mythology implies a satyrs, satyrs have a permanent erection. (laughs) So when they come out of the water, they're like looking at the satyr, they're like pointing and they're like, he's got this
0: fucking woodrow.
1: They're like, what's that? What's that? Is that a weapon? Is that an extra horn? And then I guess they, they, I don't know why, but they kick him and punch him, And then the satyr like runs away like, and runs away. And then that's like,
0: which is kind of a weird scene. And, and then um what's with sword and sorcery movies famously starting off with their female leads in a lake naked yeah beastmaster did the same thing
1: yeah it was it was great <laughs> and they look really good um but turns out that they they were they they were i the beginning of the story it's they they were these twins that were saved and then they be, you know became warriors so we get to see them kick a little ass eventually they t- team up with this viking and this um this kind of cool guy, rogue, who's not nearly as cool as he should have been. And um, the satyr, the fucking satyr, is there, like, through the whole movie, bleeding its way <laughs> through the whole fucking movie. But well, wait, well, why is he part of this group? Because he's, like, he's buddies obviously with, not very cool. He's buddies with the Viking.
0: He's buddies. Buddies with the Viking <laughs> as I say as I do my air quotes, right?
1: I can't even describe this Does the Viking wear very high boots? No, the Viking reminded me a lot of um what's his name? Um sala who's John Reese Davis in the Lord of the Rings movies. Like Gimli or whatever. Gimli. Like he reminds is. me of like Yeah, he reminded me of Gimli, but He's like
0: Gimli only as a satire raper.
1: <laughs> we don't know he's <laughs> <laughs> Something's up with him and the Satter. They're they're in love, and the Satter obviously likes chicks because he's like bleeding at the girls, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, and I just I thought the girls were really good. You know, in the in the fight scenes, they held their own. They they did they did a good job. But um the the movie just as the, it progressed, it just eventually they get separated, which was a mistake. They should have kept these girls t- together throughout. Um, and then one of them goes into this like catacombs with the Viking and they have to battle these like und- <laughs> undead, um, zombies like these, and they, they look really good. They're these, they're these skeleton creatures and probably the best beaker effects in the movie. Uh, he uh, usually
0: does pretty good. Like zombie skeleton creatures. Like that's yeah. that was my favorite thing that he did in that, um, that Charles Band anthology movie, The Dungeon Master. Right, he did like some uh, zombie type creatures in that that were really good too. So he, yeah, he does good effects for the most part. His effects are pretty good, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, the, the zombie skeleton creatures are pretty cool. Meanwhile, the other twin is is like being held captive by this evil sorcerer, and... who's force feeding her pudding pops. No, he should they he's just she's just hanging out with with the cool guy. And the cool guy yeah, like he's just not cool. He's not like Lee Horsley in Sword and the Sorcerer or like John and in Deathstalker 2. He's he's just kind of missing something. Like he he's trying to be that kind of sassy I'm I'm a cool rogue, but it just doesn't work. Like there's even this <laughs> there's even this weird scene where he's like stri- <laughs> he's stripped naked and like tied to like this like giant phallus like pole and like he's like hugging the pole and then they put like this spike under his like ass that like if he if he like falls he's gonna get impaled up the ass <laughs> in the spike and he can't even like smarm his way out of that like it's just kind of an awkward scene <laughs> it doesn't actually happen or would have really been awkward um <laughs> But yeah, and, and then just like weird jokes, like the the zombie guys come up uh, out of the graves, and instead of like going to battle, they go to like grab all the virgin women and take off with them. And then like the the um the Viking guys are like, oh well, they've been they've been buried for a thousand years. What do you expect? You know, just <laughs> weird humor like that. And then at the end, we have this like and this is all this stuff that was cut in after the fact that I'm assuming pissed uh, Jack Hill off we have this like lion puppet up here in the sky. And then this like this evil witch woman and they like are just sort of these heads in the sky shooting lasers at each other. (laughs) So there's not really a battle. Like the, the twins don't get to show off like their act, their, um, their fighting skills in the end. It just sort of all just sort of falls apart. But I, I do wish that these twins had gone on to make more movies. I think they could have had careers like Lana Clarkson but um it looks like what happened is instead they looks like what happened is they decided to um hook up with this is all from what i found on the internet but looks like they hooked up with some widower and um were trying to get out his money and um there was like a lawsuit and stuff and then i think one of one of them was thrown in jail so it's kind of a sad ending to these girls that you know it sounds like they could have had a you know, somewhat of a career as B movie stars, anyway. Hmm. But it looks like they had other plans. But I gotta say, Scorpion's release of this movie is like ridiculously nice. Like I never thought I'd see a movie like this looking as well as this one did. Um, especially considering that you know it's got like this troubled history. But um, it did it did sort of start that sword and sorcery knockoff genre that we've done a whole episode about and um it is important from that perspective and it was fun i mean i think i'll check it out again but it's just it's just not a a really good movie just because of all these kind of weird problems that were going on behind the scenes
0: and you just you'll just check it out again for that satire the more i talk about him the more i kind of have a soft spot for him did you like have nightmares
1: about his bleeding it's that fucking sound he made and you, you don't understand like how's it go (laughs) (laughs) and like if you could see me doing it then you'd understand the well try doing it at home people if you're at home (laughs) go go to the mirror and bleach into the mirror (laughs) and you'll understand why the face is so fucked up on the saturn (laughs) but um yeah he really did have this weird like buck tooth face thing going on that yeah and he did this like thing where he like almost like as he was bleeding, he looked like he was trying to fart at the same time. So <laughs> it had this weird, like, thing that he did with his whole body as he bleeded. But it, okay. it, anyway, there's enough fun things to check out of this. But uh, I, I don't know if I'd recommend buying it. All right.
0: Like I did. Okay. Well, <laughs> with that out of the way, <laughs> let's bleed our way into our top ten list, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, when I went into this, I... I yeah. uh, didn't include Dracula movies specifically. And then right before we recorded, Josh was like, well, I did. So well,
1: I don't know why you didn't include Dracula. I don't
0: know. I just didn't, but uh, I realized that there's not really, it wouldn't have changed my list really at all. So it's all good. Um, So let's do what we tend to do on these top tens. We'll start with 10, work down the one, take turns. Okay. Um, I do have a number of like, honorable mentions because we'll i end. was having some struggles. We'll do that at the end. Yeah. Um, i didn't uh, what was i going to say here? I i had a hard time like ranking them at first and my first choice, so my number 10 choice is a movie that it's very maligned but it got on my list just because it's a curiosity. And that's Life Force by Toby oh, Hooper. Oh, I thought that was kind of cheating. I didn't put that on my list, but that's okay. It's a vampire movie. Space vampires. It's I, still a vampire I movie. I guess it's a vampire so, movie. So the history of, of, of Life Force <laughs> is that it, Toby Hooper got hired by Canon Films to make this, like, big, epic movie based on the 1976 novel by uh, called The Space Vampires by this guy, Colin Wilson. And, you know, they gave him, like... 25 million dollar budget which right. if you've seen canon movies 25 million dollars <laughs> is a large amount of money <laughs> and uh, you know he was coming Toby was coming off like uh, Poltergeist and you know he had Texas Chainsaw behind him and all of that And I think it's Life Force that actually let him make Texas Chainsaw 2 because it was kind of like part of the deal where it's like he said he'd do Life Force if he could make Texas Chainsaw 2 Okay, and then he kind of flipped off canon with Texas Chainsaw 2 by delivering exactly what they didn't want, <laughs> which was like a satirical kind of comedy yeah. sequel, right? But um, I don't know, Life Force. It's it's I don't think it's like the greatest vampire movie, but and it wasn't a huge success, and it's not a huge success as a movie, but it's just so damn interesting in so many ways that that's why it's on my top ten because you know it's like it's about like a like vampires coming down with this with Steve Railsback, who's this astronaut they kind of hitch a ride with him back to earth and then they just kind of take over and it's got yeah. like all these weird set pieces like them taking over london and turning all the people into like these zombie kind of vampire yeah. creatures and you know it's got Mathilda Way- May running through the whole movie like starker's naked which as a young kid when i'm like 11 years old I appreciate that very much so. I yeah, still when I was 11, I appreciated that. I, still, I don't appreciate it. I still appreciate <laughs> oh, okay. it now. You didn't let me finish. Chris
1: is trying to take the high road of this episode, well, everyone. You, <laughs> yeah, because
0: you, you're the frigging big perv today. We've established that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's on my list because if I'm going to point at a movie that has taken like the vampire tropes, and kind of spun it off into like this weird kind of way, and and made it into something that's just bizarre to watch. I'm thinking Life Force, you know, like like Mario Bava did this, did that movie uh, Planet of the Vampires, yeah, which is also kind of similar because it's like an outer space movie with vampires. But this movie just gets so batshit at times, and I'm just like, you can see like Canon was trying so damn hard to have this really successful big budget movie yeah and it just it's just a weird all-around decision by everybody involved and that's why it's here
1: it's a weird movie there's multiple cuts of this movie yeah. and um i mean i remember i think peter Firth is the the main dude like you know like rails backs in it but he mm-hmm. kind of gets like caught up in the Mathilda may thing and but peter Firth's like i think he's a reporter or cop or something he i think it's peter Firth, but anyway he he's the one that i kind of remember from this movie i don't remember him from much else um i remember a lot about the beginning of this movie of course <laughs> <laughs> and um i remember the very ending of this movie but i don't remember a lot of the middle
0: yeah it's it's like kind of it's it's almost two hours long so it's not like uh the most quickly paced uh vampire movie in the world but i just I included it here just because it's definitely one of the more interesting, I guess it's considered a failure in a way. Yeah. From that decade. From a studio who was trying to overreach and be way more ambitious than they probably should have been. Yeah,
1: and I think, it, I think it's been res- getting a bit of a resurgence lately because of Screen Factory's yeah. release of it.
0: Yeah, their release of it is really good. Yeah. And it's the European... I think it's a European cut they have on that Blu-ray.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So that's my number 10. Yeah. I think there might be both on there, actually. But, Maybe. Yeah. So, Interesting choice. Yeah. I thought about it. I thought about it, but I thought I'd go with more, you know, more highbrow stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of highbrow on mine, I don't think.
1: So speaking of which, we'll go with my number 10. That's vamp.
0: Uh, oh, that's highbrow. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> From 1986. (laughs) You like this movie a lot.
1: So like I said, okay, I do have a lot of honorable mentions. So I had a really hard time picking a few of these later in the list titles. So I think they could be swapped out with any of my honorable mentions. So I just want to give that caveat. I also wanted to, another caveat I'd like to say is just a lot of these vampire movies I saw when I was like a teenager or in my early 20s. And I haven't seen since. So it's kind of hard for me to know if they're going to hold up. The way I kinda hoped they would. So I was reluctant to put some movies on here that I think maybe could have been on here. Just because I haven't seen I've maybe seen them once made a bit of an impression, but I haven't seen them yeah, since. I've, I kinda did the so same thing. So that's why I do want to mention some of those later. But Vamp I, I have seen a few times. And it is it's it's not very good, but it's 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 it made an impression for so sure. So we
0: both picked not very good movies. Yeah. I never did. <laughs>
1: now vamp didn't just make an impression because it's about vampire strippers, although that did help. Um, but really the main vampire stripper in this is Grace Jones. And if you know who Grace, if you're familiar with the eighties and you know who Grace, well, Grace Jones was this kind of crazy black chick. I think she was a model, but she also did. She was also a musician and she also acted. Yeah, and um, she always brought something interesting to the table. Um, she was in one of the Bond movies, and she just she's one of these people.
0: She was in Conan the Destroyer. Yeah, she
1: just fucking stands out. So she's on screen, and you're just looking at her because well, it's
0: just because she was like so weird.
1: Yeah, she was a weird chick, and and her music was weird, but um, but interesting. I, th- I think she was a really interesting per- well she was she's still around she's an interesting really interesting person um, so this this stars Chris Makepeace from My Bodyguard and yep. Meatballs and Robert Rustler from Nightmare on Elm Street 2 how could I forget <laughs> and uh, Getty Watambi. Um, he was like
0: 16 Candles 16 Candles annoying
1: Long Duck Dong yeah annoying Asian guy a um, no,
0: stereotypical Asian guy, not annoying Asian. Oh, guy. he's
1: fucking annoying in this movie. Okay, and oh, he's terrible. He's like this. He's like so. It's it's Robert. I haven't
0: seen Vamp in a long time. So, so
1: Robert Rustler and Chris Makepeace are these like, they're like at a college and they're like I think they're frat boys and they're or they're trying to get into a fraternity. I feel like it opens when they're like trying to pledge for a fraternity. Anyway, they decide they want to go to the strip club downtown, so they like go to like. Getty Watanbe, who's, like, this rich... <laughs> he's, like, kind of... He's, like, an Asian guy talking like this. <laughs> and he's got a car, though. So they, they talk him into taking them down to this club downtown. And they go to this strip club, and um, turns out that Chris Makepeace knows one of the waitresses there, played by Dee Dee Pfeiffer. I've always liked Dee Dee Pfeiffer. She's really, she was really cute, and I, I've always liked her. So it's nice seeing her again. Um, and, and then there's this this stripper played by grace jones and she yeah does this really weird stripper sequence
0: yeah i this is the only thing i remember about this movie is that sequence
1: yeah i, I feel like there was like a
0: because she like, had like a black light on and she had all these like swirls painted onto her body yeah, she or had the swirls, like that. and
1: i think there was like a mannequin or something involved Anyway, Robert Ressler ends up getting backstage, I can't remember how, and then he gets bitten, and then one thing leads to another, and then it's Chris Make Chris Peace and Dee Dee Pfeiffer versus Vampires. We also have Billy Drago in here, and he's like this like kind of mysterious gang leader kind of lurking around. And I just remember a lot of like really interesting lighting in this movie. Like it had that kind of like argento Technicolor, like you know the you'd be in like a sewer, and like there, it would just all be red, and then you'd like you know get out of the sewer and you'd walk down an alley and it would all be green like it was just really colorful and and eighties that way this was a real eighties movie and and you can really tell, but something about this movie is just always kind of stuck with me and uh and it's just a it's just a weird mixture I've always liked rustler i i I always thought he should should have been a bigger bigger star too he's always pretty pretty captivating good looking guy and uh and i i thought he was always a pretty commanding presence and make peace i've, I've never really been into but you know he he was again product of the time mm-hmm. make peace was you know in a few movies at the time and you know a lot of 80s people know him um and uh, yeah so this is directed by uh, a guy named richard wink who didn't really do a lot else um but it's it's a fun flick and uh um, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people would probably disagree with me on that, but I, I I do. I I just thought having a vampire stripper movie would be good, and especially one with Grace Jones. So, okay,
0: vamp. So uh, my number nine is Martin All by right. George by George A. Romero. That's on my list too. And uh, yeah, so we'll t- we'll we'll talk about it. We'll say once we get. We'll, what number is it on yours? Five. Five. Okay. So. Um, This I picked because it's definitely the most different take on vampire lore that I've seen. Um, It's from 1977. So this was made just before he did Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. This was like after he made um, Season of the Witch going into Dawn of the Dead. And uh, John Amplus stars as the title character. And he's a guy who like believes that he's a vampire. So he uses like, needles like syringes and razor blades to drink blood so like he'll like drug a, a girl up he'll cut her he'll cut her wrist with the razor blade and then he'll drink her blood so it's like automatically Romero's taking it like adding this thing like he's not using fangs to drink blood comparing it to being a drug addict yeah which right there is an interesting thing for like a 70s movie which is essentially a low-budget 70s horror movie right you don't see stuff like that in, in most of that thematically and um you know he gets he moves in like kind of with his uncle and his uncle's like this really religious dude Mm -hmm. who like really is like treats him like an old school vampire like you're a vampire get the hell away from me yeah i'm gonna destroy you and so it's got the interplay between the uncle in him it's got him being totally like messed up and confused because he he feels this need to drink blood, but he's uh, through the movie, he's like kind of like not sure why he's doing it, and he kind of realizes that what he's doing is really messed up yeah, and um you know it's also has uh Tom Savini, this is the first time he worked with Romero he did some of the effects and he co- starred yeah. as his uh i think he's uh martin's cousin in the movie i believe i think it was the boyfriend of the cousin or the boyfriend of the cousin I'm, yes i some, might be wrong something along those lines and i just find it to be a really like fascinating take on the lore like yep. it's just the movie that like you're watching it and you're kind of b- drawn into by it and captivated by it because you're like i haven't seen this kind of like this kind of being told this way And, you know, just the fact that he's using these, like, normal items, household items, like, you know, like, a needle and and a razor to, like, sate this bloodlust. And it's, like, it's just... Thematically, I found it very strong, and that's why it's on my list. And uh, I'm really interested to see... Like there was apparently Romero made an original cut of this movie that was like two hours and 45 minutes long. Oh, wow. Which is like an hour longer than it actually is. And it was entirely in black and white. That'd be interesting. So, But we're never going to see it because apparently it there's no copies of it anywhere. Even George says, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. I hate that. So that really sucks. And I, I, I don't know if it would make the movie better but but it would definitely be something that would be of interest because it's already, in its 90-some minute form, one of the more, probably the most interesting take on vampirism on my list. Yeah, So I
1: totally agree. And uh, it's also got a really big, a really standout scene. I remember that there was that train scene.
0: Yeah. That was really... I, yeah, that was like the, fr- I think that's the first time that they show him actually... Yeah drinking the blood and that's why that's like such a stark scene
1: i just remember being really intense too Mm -hmm. yeah so no it's a great flick and uh i again and i haven't seen in a while i think i've seen martin twice in my life but both times really had an effect on me so totally agree okay yeah number nine number nine is based on one of my favorite books i am legend And this is called The Last Man on Earth. Okay. Vincent Price. (laughs) From 1964. Yeah. Starring Vincent Price. Um, I'm not going to... I don't have a lot to say about this one. Um, Just, again, like, because I love that book
0: so much, and um, I I don't really want to spoil it. Really, for me, I Am Legend is definitely in my top five pieces of horror literature of all time. Yeah. Like, Richard Matheson's story, if you have not read that... Yeah. Yeah. You need to go out and read that right away. Yeah, I, I totally mean,
1: and it's a novel. It's a novelette or
0: novella. It's yeah, not, it's not that long. It's like two hundred and some pages. Yeah, so it's yeah. really great. It's really
1: great. And and Matheson's original story was about vampires. Yeah. And um and the Vincent Price version is about vampires. So um and it's got some really it's it's shot in black and white. Um directed by Ubaldo Ragma. Um don't really know what else he's done. Um, not much, um, but, and this is, I think AIP was behind this, but it's, it's just one of these movies. It's, it's, it's kind of a bit of a siege movie and it's, it is about one dude for the most, for a lot of it and then vampires. And, um, you know, he knows some of the vampires, which is, which is kind of weird. So people have turned, but they're still like calling out to him and stuff, which is really unsettling because, you know, he's got relationships with some of these people who have now turned become vampires but are still still know who he is and stuff
0: yeah it's 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 like they're trying to trick him yeah through the whole movie to step outside of his safe haven exactly it's also got a um you know it's got
1: some really quite uh dramatic imagery um i i remember there's you know scenes where he'd like be bringing corpses to this like fiery like garbage dump type area and just like throwing the bodies down i i remember that quite clearly and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, this movie's been done a few times, um, or this book story has been done a few times. So there's this one, this is
0: the original version. And diminishing returns each time.
1: Well, I really like the Omega Man, but yeah. the Omega Man... The Omega Man
0: goes so far off the story, Yeah, though. it
1: takes the vampire... It, they're, they're not really... They're more like a cult that are kind of albino and can't really see during the day, um... Instead yeah. of they're not they're not like going around biting people, so that's why I didn't put
0: Omega yeah, Man. And then the Will Smith one kind of made the him m- into like these mutants. Yeah, the Will Northern Smith one sucked. Yeah, it's not good.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I really do like Omega Man though. But um, this is the, the truest version to Matheson's book.
0: It's definitely the one that sticks the closest to the story. And uh, if you've seen any real sort of horror movie where you know someone is like alone in a situation like you've seen all these horror movies of people sitting in like rooms with candles and like writing in their diaries and doing all that stuff that all is owed to i am legend yeah by matheson like it's probably the most influential horror novel of all time probably too
1: exactly so just because I love I am legend so much. And I knew we were doing an episode of vampires. I just had to weasel it in somehow. And last man on earth is a pretty good movie. So that's, that's why this is on here, but I'd say almost more so because of the book, but it's, it's a pretty great, great Vincent price is always solid. so.
0: So there you go. Okay. My number eight is a movie that, um, has a lot more love than it probably deserves. I do like it, but I don't like there. It's the lost boys. Okay. (laughs) And there was two vampire movies that came out in 1987. Yeah. We're going to get to the other ones later. Yes, we will. But this is the one that people seem to love a lot more than that one. And I don't understand. People really love this movie. And I
1: actually watched it again. This is one of the ones I just watched particularly for this episode. Just, just to make sure how I felt about it was accurate. And yeah, I, I, it was okay, but it's, it's definitely not my top yeah, ten. Yeah,
0: this is, this is on here because this is a total popcorn vampire movie. Yeah. Like, this is directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. And, you know, it's got his typical... It's very stylized because he was like a, a fashion... He was like a costume designer and things before he started making movies. So he's got that kind of visual sensibility to him. And it's set in Santa Santa Clara, California, and it's about these... uh Just this, Santa Cruz is where the actual location was. Yeah, but it's called Santa Clara in the movie. Yeah. And uh, it's about this, this uh, brother, two brothers and their mother moving in with the grandfather on the city, and you know kids have been disappearing and it turns out to be work of this gang of like vampires and they're these cool dudes like you know it's keith or Severlin plays david and he's like this badass with the spiky blonde hair and yeah you know they ride their motorbikes and they like hang out at night and they're just you know they're rebels right and um it's just basically about jason patrick who plays the older brother being kind of drawn into them and and you know finding out they're kind of vampires and like falling for one of the girls played by Jamie Gertz and having to like deal with that. And then his brother, his younger brother played by uh, Corey Haim. Yeah. Also was like, Oh shit. My, my brother's in some bad stuff here. He's getting involved with vampires. And that's where they bring in these guys called the frog brothers who work in a comic book store and are think they're vampire hunters. Yeah. And, you know, it, it goes for a lot of comedy mm-hmm. and uh, it's got a lot of like, kind of like, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. You know, there's like the scene with like Keith or Sullivan's like giving Jason Patrick's char- character like Chinese food. And he's like, like, he's eating it. And then he'll just like, how oh, are those maggots? Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, those maggots that you're eating, how are they? And then he looks down and, you know, he pictures these writhing maggots in the container. But then they're not there because David's used his like kind of vampire mind Thing, oh, is that what them. was happening? Because I yeah. was like,
1: what the fuck's happening? Yeah, because
0: vampires have that thing, that ability to make people hallucinate a little bit. Oh. So that's what happened there. And then, you know, there's... Crafty David. Yeah, and there's all that stuff at the end where they're like fighting... the. Vet- it's like a siege movie kind of at the end too, where they're fighting them all at grandpa's house. Yeah. You know, there's a the famous death by stereo line and stuff like that. And it's, it is what it is. Okay, it's it's the least traditional yeah. of the movies on my list. But I have fun watching it every time I watch it. You know, I don't under- quite understand why it's so loved. I, I don't get it When we go to the next, like I said, when we're going to talk about this other 1987 yeah. movie later. I don't understand why that movie is not loved as much. Yeah. And this one is. Yeah. So, you know, it's a flashy movie. It, it's a popcorn movie. It'll, it appeals to people who were teenagers at the time that's definitely the first time i saw it i still have fun with it but it doesn't deserve to be any higher than eight for me
1: i agree i, I i'm i got a few things to say about this so and, and
0: they they also made two really bad sequels to it so
1: okay well i did one of the sequels is so bad i i was watching it with a girl and we ended up having sex because we were so bored so well,
0: how's that how's that a, well it wasn't bad that, that a way? Bad thing? no it was a good thing you but... should be putting that movie on all the time well, <laughs>
1: uh, no, but anyway. Is that The
0: Thirst? What? The sequel that was really bad. No, it was The Tribe, I think. Something oh, The Tribe. That's the second one. Yeah, it was That the one's horrible. One. I didn't watch the third one. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. Okay, anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk about Tim Capello, okay, sax player. Man. I, just I wanna, still believe Josh. I just want to <laughs> mention him because I really don't like sax in rock and roll. I really don't like it. Like it. Sax, really, drugs, and rock and roll really bothers me. Sax,
0: drugs, and rock and roll. Josh. Yeah, no, no, no. Like it's uh, Roxy
1: music's allowed. There's a few. There's a few that are allowed. Roxy I still believe. Roxy music's allowed to have sax. Clarence Clemens, depending on what E Street Band song they're but doing. Dude,
0: he's giving it. Is this movie. allowed.
1: This fucking guy. He's giving I'm it. Sorry. He's still around. I'm he's sorry. He's shirtless dude. on the beach, just dude, blowing his horn. He's shirtless on the beach, looking like fucking. Fabio what's his name from Alice Cooper's band oh yeah right yeah what's that Kane Kane Roberts Kane Roberts it's like the Kane Roberts of sax (laughs) and it just didn't work for me and like no one should be like fucking walking around singing a song with your fucking sax hanging off you. I'm sorry and it just drives me. I still believe Josh. No, it drives me fucking crazy. The guy's only in it for a second but like he pissed me off so bad I had to like look up images of him on Facebook then I had to find out is he still playing the sax? Like what the hell? And he still is. The guy is still making a career on this fucking two minutes of like embarrassment in this fucking movie and he's still got a good body anyway <laughs> whatever
0: wow josh just wanted to mention you really that. you really dove deep into this i hate
1: sax and, in <laughs> rock and roll it just should not be there can you name any band that should have a sax in it no you can't does it ever work huey lewis in the news no it does not thank you <laughs> fuck you should throw your mic down and leave the room (laughs) (laughs) mic drop and go okay second i wanted to mention hame's wardrobe Man, oh man, this guy did not know how to dress. And I don't know whose fault it was. Was it the costume designer? Like did everyone dress like this in the 80s? I have some pictures like of me in the 80s and they're it's pretty pathetic what I'm wearing. Like before I went into my like headbanger mode where I was wearing my jean jacket and leather jacket and all that stuff after I saw Rivers Edge, but before I saw Rivers Edge, I you know, I was dressing kind of shitty because I my mean, thing was kind of like I wanted to be like Crockett, but or Tubbs, <laughs> more like Crockett. I'd say Sorry, you know, I did... Racist. I... No, Crockett was just he just had the hair and the five o'clock shadow. But um you know, I did I did have like, you know, some clothing that did resemble Crockett a little bit and then
0: I saw River's Edge and wanted to be. If like, people don't know Crockett and Canada. Tubbs are from the eighties classic Miami Vice yeah, T V show.
1: This was no fucking Jamie Foxx bullshit.
0: Yeah. This was like This is Don Johnson the real deal, Philip man. Baker Hall, yeah. man. No, Philip Michael Thomas. Philip Michael Thomas. And <laughs> they've taken on some Miami drug dealers and Edward James Olmos is the chief.
1: <laughs> that's right. Hell yeah. That's right. But Hames closing that
0: Yawn this. That John theme,
1: dude. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. The electric drums. That's another thing that don't belong in rock and roll.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Saxon and drums electronic oh, okay. drums. but just i'm hanes- gonna start a band called Saxon electronic drums just to piss you <laughs> off thank you <laughs> thank you
1: thank you you're welcome oh yeah i was gonna anyway i'll just leave that joke alone um you you can go but hanes wardrobe band like i just don't get it like and I feel really bad for Corey Haim because he thought he was so cool at the time. But holy shit, he looked ridiculous in this movie. <laughs> like, everything he wore in this movie looked ridiculous. And I actually had this video of Corey Haim. And it was, like, this, like, fan club video that I think Robin Bougie gave it to me at one point and he just kept going yeah boy throughout the whole video and like playing his music and wearing his stupid clothes anyway i feel bad for Corey Haim because it's just like i feel like people were dressing him and just i just don't even think he understood what was happening
0: he's like one of those uh like those paper dolls that yeah when they were kids where they you know, put the tabs on to hold the clothes on.
1: And yeah and it was like it was like someone like cursed him to be like with the worst costume designers on earth and he just always had to wear this shit and he just looked terrible in this movie so i just sorry Corey Haim for your fucking wardrobe in this movie it was so bad and like i yeah i couldn't take my eyes off of it um the other thing with the gang I'm sorry, man, but the gang was like it was like the most straight laced fucking idiots <laughs> were like, Okay, what does a gang look like? And it was like the like nerdiest, stupidest, like straight laced
0: vision of what badass kids would be. You know like. what would have been awesome? If they had Alex Winter's character, who was like one of the gang members, yeah. be like, I'm Bill S. Preston,
1: vampire. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they all looked, they all had like, okay, so Kiefer's blonde, spiky hair. He didn't look that bad. It was a fucking mullet. Okay. And hey, he, mullets he looked were big in the looked dude. He looked so You probably so had a fucking mullet ridiculous. in the ridiculous. 80s. His jacket was cool. I did have a mullet in the 80s. Exactly. Here, but that was before I learned, before girls. Before girls said, Josh, you can't have that. You need to have but your you're hair. Like,
0: but you're like, baby. Baby, it's it's business in the front, party in the back. What's the problem? No, Dude. with my hair, it just doesn't work because my hair is
1: really curly. So it was like fucking poofter. And I remember when, when I had Dude, a mullet, I never had a mullet. When I had a mullet, people were like, I remember this one guy, Blaze. And he said. Is that his real name? Yeah, I think Blaze said this to me. He's like, That's his given birthday? He's like, Man, we should call you Mop Head. I could just shove a fucking pole up your ass and mop the floor. You know, and that's what happened to me with my and body. You're like, I'm cutting my hair. But then I was saved because these girls were like, Don't, you, know, you gotta have it all the slamming knives. And that's what I've done ever since. Anyway, Kafer had a mullet. I'm sorry. And it looked stupid. So that's my thing with that. Then the other guys in the group, like Alex Winter was actually okay, kind of cool and then the other guys there was two other guys and they both had like this long flowing quaffed hair and and they just were so like oh i'm so gorgeous like there was this one brunette guy and he looked like he looked like fucking a brunette fabio right and then this other guy the other guy was sort of okay but the coolest one of them all was the fucking little kid laddie, laddie. Like, he had this cool jacket. Like, I thought Laddie I looked fucking I thought his jacket cool.
0: looked like he wanted to be part of, like, a school marching band.
1: Yeah, well, Laddie looked... Laddie, <laughs> no, 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 Laddie looked no, like a no, fucking no, Confederate no. soldier, man. Like, Laddie was the shit. Like, Laddie should have been the fucking leader, man. He looked the best. <laughs> he was the coolest one of them all. And then Star, yeah, she's just not... I, I wouldn't have gone for Star. Jason Patrick was pretty cool, though. He was the coolest of them, I thought. But I don't know. Just something about them. It was just, it was like this manufactured, like, what, what, like a game. Like, it's like, you know, if, if fucking segment and the boys from Class of 84 were the gang, then I would have been like, okay, these guys are badass. But these guys, I was just like, these guys aren't badass at all. They're lame. They're lame-ass. Especially when they, yeah, <laughs> lame-ass. You heard me. And especially at the beginning of the movie when People Are Strange is playing, and it's like an Echo Man, the Bunny Man cover of People Are Strange. What a weird choice, by the way. It's a pretty good um, cover. It's a pretty good cover, but an odd choice. Anyway, as that movie's playing over the opening credit, or no, is that the opening credits? It's, it's like sort of the establishing, like what Santa Clara is like, and it's like showing all these like homeless punks. They should have been the gang. Like the homeless punks should have been the gang, not the fucking suburbia
0: meets vampires. not the fucking
1: like 16 magazine punks. It should have been the the punks from the beginning. Like it's yeah, the suburbia guys. I don't know. Like I think you're approaching this. No, it with... just didn't work and like all the music was pretty lame i thought that i remember this guy was like oh yeah that cry little sister song man it's like the best song so moody right and i'm like you know listening to it now i'm just like it's so lame it's not
0: a good song do you like that song it's okay it's it's not a good song like i used to think it was a cool song i like it more than the freaking lou graham song on here yeah like it's a bad to the night (laughs) lost in the shadows (laughs) boys.
1: (laughs) So, I might have just been this might have been another
0: case you're of, fucking bitter about <laughs> lost boys, dude. I just don't enjoy this movie ever when I see it. I still like it whatever i
1: i know i know, i know you do i just, I don't
0: like it as much as some of these rabid people, but I still enjoy watching it. <laughs> it is I, what it is i was I was twelve when it came out, no so. and I
1: get that I think this might be another i think it would another really, nostalgia thing really cool at twelve yeah. but it wasn't cool at sixteen when i or however old I was. I was just starting to get into my rocker phase and, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was past Crockett. Josh it. was
0: like, I got a fucking mullet. I'm cooler than <laughs> this movie. I was past
1: Crockett.
0: I'm so badass. Look at how I'm feathered. Oh, fuck yeah. I
1: don't know. I wasn't feathered. It was just poofed her. You're like, holy shit, man. I can
0: take on David. Look at my mullet. David, dude. I can it's... cut bread with his fucking hair. Bread? I don't know. How do you cut bread <laughs> with a slice hair? Sliced bread, bitch. No, but it was poofed
1: it wasn't... I didn't uh, use product.
0: Maybe... <laughs> No, uh, no Vidal. Sassoon so for <laughs> you.
1: No. Do I have anything else to say? Okay, what's this? number eight? Come on. Just you're dragging you this Lost Boys hate on too long. Oh, did you notice <laughs> Kelly Jo Minter in this movie? Yeah. yeah. She had like two lines. or I don't think she even had a line. She was just sort of hanging yeah, out. Yeah, and
0: then a couple of years later, Freddie killed her. It's all good. Apparently all her scenes were cut, but I remember her. Well, because I do, I do miss know, her voice. Joel Schumacher's a racist. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you okay, do your Lou Gramm exp-
1: impression? Your what? Did foreigner have a sax player? I bet you they did. You
0: want me to do my Lou Gramm? Yeah. Sail into the night, lost in the shadows. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's <was> good. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Eight. Come on. Oh shit! It's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> you got off. You got a little bit off track there, buddy. Um. Okay. Just again, movies that made an impression. Um. Dracula. Dracula, Prince of Darkness. 1966. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Holy shit. So hammer film.
0: Yep. Christopher Lee. The probably the ultimate Christopher Lee hammer film. Like arguably, Dracula film. Arguably. I this think is the one everyone points at. People point at this and they point at Horror of Dracula. I, I really like Taste the Blood of Dracula myself. Right. right. Yeah.
1: But yeah, like the two th- the two main ones, yeah. People are either pointing at this one or they're pointing at Horror of Dracula. Yeah. And Horror of Dracula was the original one. Then there was a a one without Christopher Lee, and then he came back. um,
0: Is Prince of Darkness the one with the ice? Yes. Okay, okay. This one is a good one. Yeah,
1: this is a good one. Christopher Lee doesn't speak in this movie, which is kind of unique about it. But I also thought it kind of added to it. Now, it's it's in question why he didn't speak. Christopher Lee says he didn't speak speak because he hated the fucking script. But... (laughs) Um, the director said that um, it was written that way. So I don't know who to believe on that. I'd go with Christopher Lee. I'd probably go with Christopher Lee, but I didn't think it was a shitty movie. So that's that's what kind of makes me wonder. Anyway, um, but there's there's some really effective scenes in this. I think the fact that he doesn't speak really adds to it, actually. Um, there's I remember one of the when Dracula first appears, like it just shows the coffin and then like this hand comes out like a spider and it's really freaky. It's also got, as Chris mentioned, there's it's got a finale that takes place on like broken pieces of ice. I'm not gonna yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna say a lot about this one. Um it's got Barbara Shelley in it, Andrew Keir both were in Quartermaster and the Pit and some other Hammer movies. Um this one was made in nineteen sixty six. Um so again in like kind of hammers heyday. And um yeah, it's 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 a good one. It's a good it one. It is a good one. I, I
0: I don't know, I think I like Taste the Blood of Dracula the best. I don't know why. Hmm. But uh it's definitely the one that I always see people pointing out as the uh as the ultimate hammer Dracula movie is. Prince of Darkness.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the the Christopher Lee Dracula movie I'd recommend would be this
0: one. Yeah, And it's and, the one that you always see the imagery of uh, Christopher Lee as Dracula from. Yeah. When they use a picture from one of those movies, it's always from that one. Yeah. Um, okay. My number seven's another popcorn movie. But it, hopefully it's not a popcorn movie that you're going to get all pissed off about. <laughs> it's from Dust Till Dawn. Oh, that was, uh, this was my honorable mention. That was almost number 10. Okay, so... You know, any movie that has Cheech going, pussy, 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 (laughs) is, is good by me. Yeah. So the basic of this is it's a Quentin Tarantino script directed by Robert Rodriguez. The first half of the movie is a crime movie. Because it's about these guys, these badass brothers called the Gecko Brothers. And when the movie first opens, you know they're robbing a like a gas station convenience store, shooting everybody in sight. You know they're on a crime spree; they're going across the state, just you know doing whatever they want. And it's played by George Clooney, and uh, Tarantino plays the other brother. Yeah, and uh, you know you they end up at this bar called the Titty Twister. Yeah, which is like in the middle of the desert. It's like this kind of garish. It's got all the neon outside of it. It's like a biker place. Like there's all these motorbikes, like a kind of a badass strip bar. And uh, so they go there to take a break or whatever. And uh, then the movie kind of goes second half becomes this crazy vampire movie. Well, they also hook up with Harvey Keitel. Yeah, because they kind of like Juliette Lewis. Yeah, yeah, like they're driving like a motorhome, and he's like a really religious dude, and she's like the daughter. And I, th- I think don't they like take them captive, kind of like yeah, they're like yeah, like holding they, them hostage. They take basically. over the the RV and end they end hijack up the twister, RV, yeah. and you know, and then the second half becomes like it introduces Selma Hayek, Satanico, who's like this really hot yeah like stripper who like she has that scene where she like pours something down her leg into george clooney's mouth and yeah you know it's super hot right but then oh the whole bar is vampires yeah so the rest of the movie is you know the gecko brothers with their cohorts and other people in the bar just fighting these vampires you know it's got tom savini Yeah. As this guy who has like a a gun that pops out of his crotch. He's like this biker dude. A cock gun. A cock gun. It's got Fred Williamson. Yeah. Just rocking it. I remember he takes, there's a scene where he like flips this wooden table over and he fucking stakes a vampire on every leg of the table. Yeah. So fucking cool. Like Fred Williamson, he's smoking a cigar in this movie, I'm pretty sure. His trademark. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just think of this as a really good, fun movie like yeah you know it's like Selma Hayek's smoking Savini's cool I don't think George Clooney is being as awesome as he is here I'd say Out of Sight is pretty close for just pure badass agreed yeah and um you know and like it's just like this is the kind of movie that I feel like you know Rob Zombie is trying to emulate in his movies Hmm. you know because it's got that kind of offbeat like style yeah. and it's got all these cameos you know like John Saxton is in here you know and and Fred Williamson and Tom Seviedi I I feel like Zombie's just kind of cribbed cribbed off of from Dust to Dawn yeah in a way and you know it's um it's a really fun movie i really like it it's got a lot of good action it's the crime part cuz Tarantino's really good at writing crime stuff yeah really good yeah. i mean Tarantino's not the best thing in this movie he's kind of weak admittedly as as Richie Gecko but, um, you know, and it, it it's just, it's a cool movie all around. Like, I would suggest if you're going to watch this movie, you watch the um, the full-length documentary, Full Tilt Boogie, mm-hmm. directed by uh, Sarah Kelly, to go along with it, because it gives you more of kind of a backstory of this. Because this is when Tarantino, he'd just come off of, you know, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. He was getting, like, some of his scripts made, like True Romance was made the same year in 94 uh Natural Born Killers had just been made and, and this from Dustal Dawn is one that he'd had sitting around for a while and he actually managed to get made because uh Robert Rodriguez was his buddy and he had just come off the success of this really low budget indie movie called El Mariachi. Yeah. So you know Dimension Pictures took a chance on it and it's it's actually a really fun movie. It's kind of gathered steam over over the years as like kind of a cult item. Yeah. More than anything. And, you know, they did make two direct-to-DVD sequels, which are kind of worth not talking about. They're not that great. I remember the second one being terrible and the third one being okay. And there's also a, a TV show on El Rey Network, which is the Robert Rodriguez Network, which is heading towards its third season right now. Is that his network? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He owns El Rey. Huh. But uh, I haven't seen the show, but I've heard it's pretty good. But, uh, yeah, From Dusk to Dawn definitely a really great, fun Two, like a, uh, It's like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of movies because it's two genres smashing together and being delicious.
1: No, it's it's a good one for sure. Yeah. yeah, it was one of the highlights of going to Universal Horror Nights last year was I got to go to the Titty Twister.
0: Nice. Yeah. Too bad they didn't have Cheech out front. They, pussy, yeah, they should. Pussy, they, they had a couple pussy. of guys in
1: front, but they weren't like Cheech. We got but they pussy. did have strippers inside.
0: We got a special: buy one pussy, get the second for only a dollar. Yeah, he's so good in that. He, he is so funny. He's pretty funny. All right, all right. No- number seven. What you number got?
1: Number seven is Daughters of Darkness from 1971, directed by Harry, Harry Kummel. This is a Belgian movie. Um so this is a lesbian vampire movie. Um that's kind of based on the myth of Elizabeth Bathory. Yep. And Elizabeth Bathory, if people don't know, is uh, it's a French noblewoman who um was the legend has it, that she used to bathe in the blood of virgins to achieve eternal youth. And um that's kind of what this is based on. Um it's just a really stylized um movie that yeah really uh, again made an impression on me now i didn't feel like like you know when i say it's a lesbian vampire movie like immediately thoughts come to mind of it being like you know soft porn or whatever i didn't feel like this had that this just this just happened to be what the story was and um stylistically i i just um it's just a really it's just a really good good flick and I'm not. Uh, that's pretty much all I'm gonna say
0: about this. Well, the thing about um, the legend of Bathory, yeah, in itself is worth looking into. It's a really fascinating kind of story, and it has been used before in the genre. Like um, Eli Roth even borrowed that for Hostel too. Did he? Yeah, because there's that scene of the lady who, like um, H- Heather Mass. I don't know how to say her name, Mastriana or whatever her name is from uh, Welcome to Dollhouse. She's one of the travelers and she gets hung upside down and brought over top of this one lady who cuts her throat and then kind of lets the blood spill all over. So that's kind of like an Elizabeth Bathory reference right there. And uh, there's this really terrible movie called Stay Alive, which kind of tried to make it video mix video games and the legend of her together very badly.
1: I remember there was a movie called like eternal or something that was based on her. And, uh, there's, there's been a number of like low budget movies with this. Yeah. There was also part of, uh, Valerian Borchuk's, um, immoral tales. One of the stories in there was based on the Bathory legend. So it's been around and it pops up every here and there. I think there's a new movie coming out actually based on it as well. But, um, this is probably the best, the best version of that story. And, uh, yeah it's just it's just a well done movie um that's it's kind of worth going into cold and just sort of experiencing it so that's um
0: I've personally mm -hmm. never seen it so I might have to check it out yeah it's worth it's worth worth checking out
1: it's been out on DVD and I don't think it's on I don't know if it's out on blue yet but uh I know it's it came out on DVD from Anchor Bay, and then it came out again from Blue Underground. So. Well, Blue Underground's putting
0: all their stuff out on on uh, Blue yeah, right I now. Th- so. I feel like this might be out on Blue, but anyways, it's it's one to check out for Kay. sure. My number six is a movie that you talked about last week. uh Oh, and that I went and watched. It's oh, uh, a girl walks home alone at night. Yeah, see, from uh, told you it was good. Creative take <laughs> on traditional vampires, courtesy of Anna Lily Amirpour. And uh, I'm not going to say a lot about this because Josh kind of covered all the bases last week when we talked about. This it. This is a recent movie. This is from 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, I really dug it. Like, yeah, I, 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 I was, it's fucking
1: awesome. I one. feel like some it's people fucking cool.
0: Isn't that what I was? I
1: was saying. Last I week? think so.
0: <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are gonna like. I think it's going to be a hard sell for some people because it's very arty. It's a s- slow moving movie. Yes, yeah. you know, it's not lots of action occurs in it and it's very character driven in a way. Um it's kind of like an ode to James Dean. Yeah. Mixed with like westerns and, and social decay. Yeah. Because the setting is just like you know, you think of like what's going on in the world with like in the America with like Detroit City, how it's just over yeah. the years, it's just been like wearing down and down and down. And you just when you feel like a city like that, which was once a vibrant industrial city, couldn't get any lower, it gets stomped on even more. And that's kind of what the setting of this movie kind of reminded like me of. It's like urban decay in a western town yeah, or something. The cities, they don't actually. They call the city Bad City in yeah. the movie. Like, there's not really a real name for it. But it's not like a skyscraper city. It's no, it's like, just like an oil kind of, yeah. you know, smokestacks kind of place. And uh, I thought Sheila Vand as yeah. the main girl was friggin' amazing. Yeah. Um, I really liked the moment when she had to, like... There was a, li- a little guy who was, like, going through the town, kind of hanging around everybody and trying to, like, you know, get money from them and be kind of a nuisance where she has this exchange with him where she's asking him if he's been a good boy. Yeah. And he's like, yes. And she's like, don't lie to me and all that. And I thought that was really, really good scene. I thought it was very effective. Um, there's also the scene where she's kind of mirroring the town drunk, which I really loved. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's just... It's 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 the kind of movie like... I've talked about this with The Witch, you know? When you think there's nothing creative coming from from the genre... Yeah. A movie like this comes along and you're like, okay why are people complaining that horror movies aren't creative? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe if you look outside of what's coming out from Hollywood studios and go to these movies that are independently made and, and made with little money because they have to do it that way now, because they have no chance of, you know, making a movie. Otherwise you're going to see a lot of cool ideas. And, and this Amapur chick, she just kicks its ass out of the park in this movie. Like, and, and like Josh said, I'm really super excited for her next movie. Yeah, me so too. I'm not going to say much more because we've, Josh already kind of hit all the bases. I, I agree with him for the most part on what he said last time. So awesome. go, listen, go listen to that one. Go listen <laughs> to that episode if you want to know. <laughs> yeah. So what's your number six?
1: Number six is Let the Ray One In. This is my number three. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. From 2008, directed by Thomas Alfredson. Um,. see vampire movies yeah like people always talk about it being kind of a dead genre but I mean it's movies like this and movies like I find it's one of those it's one of these genres that can really it really seems to lend itself to unique takes on on the mythology and this is
0: another unique take what you're seeing is even from both our lists you're seeing like you know it's these unique takes we're appreciating you know like Martin and and girl walks home alone at night and you know let the right one in yeah like a lot of the stuff i have on mine aren't really treading the traditional path and and you know i'm not a big huge proponent of vampire movies particularly like i know you enjoy them more than i do mm-hmm. like you know i'm more of a slasher movie kind of creature feature mon like animals run amok kind of guy like i don't go out of my way to watch vampire movies, to be honest, cause I'm not really into them that much. Right. But then I have movies like these come along and I'm like, okay, maybe I am kind of interested in this subgenre a little bit. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this is a Swedish tale. Yeah. It's uh it's basically a, a juvenile love story. Yeah. More than anything, because you know, it's about a bullied 12 year old guy called Oscar. And he kind of meets this neighbor girl called, uh, una or eli sorry yeah and uh, you know she's a vampire yep that's all there is to it and she kind of helps him with his problems and he helps her with her with her problems (laughs) and they just bond this really unbreakable friendship through the whole movie and you know it's it's good i think the crux of this movie is like there's some violence in this movie like some like, there's some vampire stuff in this movie, and I think. But the thing that makes this movie resonate for me was the relationship. Absolutely. Between the two main characters. That's and it what was it's just, all about. Yeah. It was just so well done. Like, I don't like kid actors for the most part. But, uh. <laughs> says the guy who wanted to do a kid episode. No, but I just. <laughs> I like Killer Kid movies yeah. but for like <laughs> kid actors trying to do dramatic turns yeah i'm not really down with them for them Says most, the most part the guy who picked rube is shut one up I was... <laughs> but uh, i really just think that this i just think the kids the two actors in this uh care hedebrandt and una leanderson yeah are just amazing i thought that setting this movie in the early 1980s gave it this mood that would probably be missing if they did it in modern times. And, you know, it's just a really solid, very affecting vampire movie.
1: Yeah, it's got great characters. It's got memorable scenes. It looks good. Yeah, it's
0: all around. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's it's like I said, it's, it's more about a friendship than it is about, you know, an affliction. Yeah. So, and that's what made it work for me because, you know, it's kind of like a girl walks home alone that that I just talked about. That was more about a relationship between her and the main character than her really being a vampire. That was just part of the story that kind of molded where this relationship went. Yeah. And that's what, what the, what let the right one in does too, and does it really well.
1: Well, it's just also just, you know, two people, like two children or teenagers that are in really shitty situations trying to bond. I mean, like Oscar's bullied and the girl is like, there's implied incest going on. And uh, yeah, it just really, um, just really shows them being able to kind of escape from their realities with their, their
0: friendship and sort of blossoming love i guess you could say but have you seen the uh 2014 american version no have you i haven't i've been kind of i've been avoiding it because you know this movie is pretty much stands alone on its own and didn't need a north american remake but i've actually heard it's not terrible
1: yeah i heard it's not terrible too but it's just i like this one a lot yeah and it just I'm just not interested. Well, that's And the it's thing. not because I'm like, fuck remakes. You know, I'm just, I'm just
0: like, just, I'm just not interested. No, it's like a movie like this where you really love it. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? Like, that's like, um, when we talked about speaking of killer kids, when we talked about who can kill a child. Yeah. That was remade. Yeah. And I have absolutely zero interest in seeing it. Yeah. Because, you know, why do you need another... Another take on a movie that you just love anyway. Like, just watch that movie again. Yeah, exactly. You know, watch Let the Right One In Again. Don't watch Let Me In, you know, whatever. It's not that we're saying that we don't like, like, we're, you're right. We're not like, oh, fuck remakes. Like, we do get like that sometimes. But I think the point is if you have a movie that's at this level, you don't even need to bother. With yeah, it's our like redo.
1: it's it, that's kind of how I feel. You've it's seen the story, like, the why, story's
0: why, why? pretty much been told the way it should be told. It doesn't need to be told again. Yeah. So.
1: So I yeah, maybe maybe if I see it on Netflix and I'm bored, maybe I'll ch- but I just I'm just not I'm not that curious cuz yeah, like We've talked about this at length on the remakes, but I mean, this Let the Right One In is not a shitty movie. Like, no, it, it's kind of a masterpiece. It's my number three, so, yeah, so we don't not. really need to see a different take on it. So, like, it's not like other movies, like you know, that I I'd, I'd kind of be interested to see what an interesting director would do with it. This is interesting enough for me. So, right. Matt Reeves is a good director. I'm not. I don't want to knock the guy because I I I loved Cloverfield and I, I think he knows what he's doing. But um, yeah, I just this is what i what I know and, and this is what I like and, but I'll, I'll probably see the remake at some point, but just not not right
0: now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, my number five movie, yeah. is a little movie from two thousand called Shadow of the Vampire. Okay, directed by E Elias Merhig. Yeah, um, starring John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe. Yeah, and this is kind of like a uh, alternate history movie yeah. in the sense that it's about uh John Malkovich plays F.W. Murnau yeah who directed Nosferatu and that's right in 1922 and the movie is about him going to make this movie and uh they're they're bringing in this guy called Max Shrek yeah to play Nosferatu and it and you know little do they know like this guy's a a real vampire, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, it's all basically about them trying to make this movie with a real-life vampire as part of the c- cast. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously things go wrong because, you know, it wouldn't be a vampire movie if they didn't. <laughs> and uh, I just think it's this... I thought it was, like, a uh, a cool take on it. You know, the Nos- Nosferatu, if you haven't seen it, it didn't make my list here because, you know... It's it's a movie that's really worth seeing. Yeah. But I it's not a movie I'm going to go back to and watch a lot. Like it set a lot of stuff in motion for this subgenre. Yeah. And um I just thought like I love these alternate history kind of movies like this. You know like it's like kind of like those Marvel what if comics they had in the 80s, right? Like oh what if the Punisher's family wasn't killed? What if Spider-Man didn't get bitten by that snake? Like this is like a movie thing like cuz I'm already into Behind the scenes of movies. Yeah. And then you're like, well, what if they did make this vampire movie and the guy really was a vampire? Wouldn't that be like the coolest thing, but also the scariest thing ever? Yeah. And I just thought it was approached in a very mature way. Yeah. And when you've got Malkovich and, and Defoe, you can't really go wrong because they give like really solid, solid performances. They do, yeah. And um, I'm really curious about uh, the director... Because he made a, this surreal horror movie called, like kind of horror movie called Begotten yeah. 10 years prior to this. And I'm not really into that surreal movement, but. Begotten. I've heard of it. That's th- me yawning. I've heard about <laughs> it, but he also made this really underrated serial killer movie called Suspect Zero. Right. Four years after this, which is about like um, a serial killer who hunts down and kills other serial killers. Okay. And it's a really good movie. Yeah, heard, yeah, that's, yeah I heard about that I here. just feel like um, this movie made my list because it's, I just like the alternate history angle of it. And I think it's a very interesting and unique take. Well, and it was also kind
1: of an urban legend that Shrek was actually a vampire. Yeah. So it's interesting to take an urban legend. Like people actually thought that. Yeah. And maybe he was.
0: Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe Shadow of the Vampire will give you some, you know, push to do some research about this. It's true. Maybe. You never know.
1: I like Shadow of the Vampire. I mean, I I saw it at the film festival the year it came out. Um, I remember it being quite visually striking. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I I just don't think about it very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. And we said your number five was... uh, My number five was Martin. Is Martin. Okay. So let's move on to number four. All right. My number four is 1985's Fright Night. Oh, I thought this would be on your list. You knew this would make it, right? Yeah. This is like one of my early vampire memories. Yeah. Because like, you know, when I was first getting into horror movies, it was around 1984, you know, like first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And uh, I saw Fright Night actually playing on television late at night. Right. When I was like probably about 11, 12. And, um, it's just, it's such a cool movie because it's like, it's got co- comedy in it, but it's also got some scary stuff in it when you're a kid, you know, it's got like, um, you know, it's basically about this guy called Charlie Brewster. Yeah. Played by, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? What's the actor's name? Why am I? William Ragsdale. And, William uh, Ragsdale is the actor's yeah, name. <laughs> yeah, and he moves into this house and he spot. It's kind of like a rear window situation where he sees his neighbor like dragging a body into the house. Right. And he's like, "What the hell's going on?" And then later on, he sees him like he's he's like sees him with this girl at the window, and she's like got her top off. So he's like, "Oh yeah, this is good. I'm a teenager. I'm into this. I like boobs. You know, kind of." But then he sees him sees his neighbor, played by Chris Serenum, bite the girl on the neck, and he's like, holy shit, I live next door to a vampire, right? Yeah. So, nobody believes him. It's the boy who cries wolf. He goes to the one place that, you know, you would, you'd be like, hey, there's a vampire living next door to me. Nobody believes me. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the host of the local horror television <laughs> show. And this is uh, Roddy McDowell playing Peter Vincent. He's friggin' amazing in this movie. Like, he's kind of bumbling. He's, like, bumbling in the sense that Kurt Russell was bumbling as as Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China. Like, he's not really that great of a hero. Yeah. But he's just so awesome to watch. Like, Roddy McDowell just nails this character. He, like, gives him so much life. And Chris Sarandon's really menacing in this movie, I thought. Like, he's just, like, really steely-eyed and, like... I've heard Colin Farrell's pretty good in the 2011 redo of this. But yeah. again, another case of why do I want to bother with it Yeah, when I've got this really great movie already. Um, lots of memorable stuff in this one. Uh, Stephen Jeffrey's playing his uh, Charlie's friend, Ed. He has, yeah. <laughs> he has that iconic, like, you know, you're so cool, Brewster, making fun of him. And, like, there's that scene where I always remember where... He comes home, like uh, uh, the William Ragsdale character comes home and he like goes up to his mom's room and it's like the vamp that Ed turned into a vampire in the bed. He's like, oh, your mom left you a note. Dinner's in the oven. (laughs) And stuff like that. It's just goofy, right? Yeah. Just like a werewolf attack, you know, bats and, you know, all these cool special effects. It's just like a really cool movie when you, when I was like 12 and I think it's held up really well. I think it's a really fun movie to watch. It's got good humor in it. Um, Tom Holland, who wrote and directed this, also wrote one of Josh's favorite movies, Class of 1984. Yeah. He also wrote Psycho 2, and he directed Child's Play. And he
1: was in an episode of The
0: Hulk playing a evil sensei. That's true. So he's <laughs> responsible for two of, the, two of the most fun 80s horror movies with Fright Night and Child's Play. Yeah. He's so, great. Yeah.
1: Cool. So what do you got for four? Number four, vampires,
0: like Carpenter. No, fuck okay, no. Phew. Oh, no. the vampires with a Y. Vampires with a Y. With a Y from okay. 1974, directed by Jose Ramon Lárez. You and your lesbian vampires.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is like the quintessential.
0: Yeah, this is the movie if you wanted, like, if you want to point. If you ask anybody who kind of knows about horror, they're like, "So uh, I'm kind of into lesbian vampire movies this week. What's one I should watch if I'm trying to watch them?" Everyone's like, "Vampires."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I think there would or be or vampire other, lovers. There would be other people. Yeah, there's 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 lots of lesbian vampires. For me, I'd be like vampires. I would agree with you. Yeah, vampires is fucking awesome. Um, so this is uh, there's this is a story of two lesbian vampires played by Marianne Morris and Anolka. Zibundiska. We love butchering names on this podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> See, I think that was that wasn't bad. Anyway, <laughs> she's built not as, enough. <laughs> she's built as just Anulka, which is great. And she was a Playboy playmate in May 1973. And um, so it's like a brunette and a blonde vampire that basically lure men into their mansion to kill them and that's about it <laughs> um they usually they usually pose the bodies in the car accident scenes and stuff like that but um yeah it's got this is this has got yeah a lot of atmosphere um great cinematography i love watching these girls like running through the forest with their capes flowing and and I also love love seeing them taking their clothes off and making out. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Win-win situation right there. But
1: this is like your horror at its best. It's got... I didn't find it particularly sleazy. I don't feel like this is like a
0: sleaze fest.
1: Compared to some of the lesbian vampire movies out yeah. right
0: there, it's somewhat restrained.
1: Yeah, it's a stylistic, like kind of arty horror film with lots of nudity mm-hmm. and, and vampirism. So, um yeah, there's, again, not not a lot to the plot. And I just find with a lot of these European movies, I don't I just don't want to give a lot away. Because um, these are like kind of like favorites of mine, and I just kind of want people to experience them for themselves. Because these are movies I discovered at Blockbuster or, you know, the neighborhood video store. And it, I clearly remember this one because it had this, like, cool cover, and it just had these two girls, like, holding hands with capes, and it was just called vampires, and it had that Blockbuster... Eighteen or over to oh, it. Oh, that was a that sure sign up. of you know <laughs> to rent that. Yeah, and I I watched that tape lots, <laughs> especially as a teenager. Um, but again, watched it
0: in ten minute increments.
1: But like Daughters of Darkness, <laughs> this was put out by Anchor Bay, and then it was put out again by Blue Underground. Um, I don't think this one's actually out on Blue. I think Daughters of Darkness might be, but I don't think this one is. But
0: but it will be eventually.
1: I hope so. I hope so. This is a really great movie. This was a. This was one. Of, it's probably my favorite vampire movie for a long time, and uh, I've changed my mind a bit about it. But I also haven't seen it for a long time, so it might it might still be up there. And I I've never. I don't think I've ever seen a a digital copy of this. i I've only seen the VHS. So um, yeah. I I think this would be even better looking proper in widescreen. So, yeah. But check, check this one out. This is a good one. It's, it's a great
0: representation
1: of the lesbian vampire subgenre.
0: I agree. Yeah. So our number threes, I think we've both talked about already. Because my number three is Let the Right One In. And my number three is A Girl Walks Home Alone. So let's night. jump to number two. Okay. My number two is a 1993 movie from Guillermo del Toro called Kronos. Mm. Um, this, the thing about del Toro is... I love the guy when he's making movies in his home country of Mexico. I'm not particularly keen of him when he's making movies in North America. Yeah. Because, you know, Devil's Backbone is amazing. Pan's Labyrinth is amazing. Kronos is amazing. Like, yeah, Kronos tells the story. It's kind of like a fairy tale mixed with, like, ancient mythology. Yeah. Where it uses this ancient device that's kind of looks like a... It's like a brooch, kind of. Yeah. But it also looks kind of like a spider because there's this insect embedded in it. And this and this old elderly antiques dealer, he finds it, and then it ends up like, kind of like the insect in the brooch bites him and yeah. turns him into a vampire. So the movie's kind of about him. It's played by Federico Lupi, who's freaking amazing in this movie. And it's about him, like, dealing with this new vampirism. But at the same time, there's, like, this guy, Ron Perlman. He's, like, the the son of this, like, really, like, guy who wants this brooch thing really badly. And he's always harassing the old man. But the old man's got to deal with, like, this bloodlust that he has. Like, there's this really cool scene in it where he, like, is licking blood off the floor of this bathroom. Because like someone's, you know, cut themselves and he's just like, he's just so desperate for this blood hunger that he just gets down on his knees and just starts lapping up this blood. And I thought that's a really striking image. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, his stuff is really good. It's really way more stylized than what he's doing in North America. His stories are always kind of a blended with folklore and like fairy tales, they always have that dreamy sensibility about them when he's making these movies in Mexico. And I think Kronos is a movie that hasn't really got the kind of love it deserves. Right. Like I, I think I, it's his least known movie, to be honest. Yeah. And I think it really deserves to be watched by anyone who has any interest in seeing something different and non-traditional in the vampire subgenre. And I love it. And that's why it's number two.
1: Yeah, Del Toro, I I I remember I remember seeing this movie and I remember being pretty impressed by it. Um I'm I'm just not a fan. Like I, I, I he's he's one of these directors that I kind of like Rob Zombie, like I really want to like him cuz he just seems like one of us, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's really into horror in reality. Like he really loves the genre, but i just find he just never seems to get it like i want him to like even i watched pan's labyrinth again recently and i was you know i used to think that movie was great and i after first viewing second viewing i'm just like yeah it was it was pretty good but it just didn't knock my socks off i didn't like devil's backbone and this one i think this one if i revisited it, it would probably be my favorite del Toro movie um, which is too bad because I just want I want the guy to get better, but Pacific Rim kind of killed.
0: Himself. I just feel like everything he's making in his home country I've really loved, yeah, and everything he's made for like English language I haven't liked. Like a lot of people seem to like Blade Two, I don't like it. Oh, you know, yeah, I have no, ind- I didn't really like Hellboy that much. You know, I don't care about Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak. I'll watch, but I haven't heard many good things about it. Like you yourself don't really care for it. So, no, like
1: everything is just kind of, I find everything he does is just kind of okay. And it's like, I want him to be fucking amazing. Well, I know. Cause, Cause he just seems like the kind of guy that should be. And, but he, it it just never
0: is for me. Well, even that show that they had the strain, which is based on the, yeah. uh, the novels he co-wrote. I just couldn't get into it. It just, I was just like, oh, whatever I've seen this before, And that's like kind of a vampire thing too. And I'm just like, whatever. I've yeah. seen it move on. Yeah. So if you're going to watch anything by him, Chronos for sure. I really like Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth too.
1: I think I should watch Devil's Backbone again. Um, it might've been in the wrong mood or something. Yeah. But Pan's Labyrinth, it's not bad. I'm not saying it's a bad movie at all,
0: but. Yeah. But Kronos is a, yeah. is a very underrated, very unique vampire movie. And that's why it's my number two. No, it's a good pick. What's good your pick. number two?
1: My number two is Dracula from 1931, okay. directed by Todd Browning, who also gave us freaks. One which, of us. One <laughs> of us. Which is a great fucking movie. Um, So this one, I mean, this is all. This is like the fucking Dracula movie. Like um, Dracula has been done a ton of times. We've got Frank Langella doing Dracula. We've got Christopher Lee doing Dracula, as I talked about. We've got Gary Oldman doing Dracula. Like, It's just been done to death. But when I hear the word Dracula, Bella Lugosi is who is in my head, and um, that's because of this movie. And I just thought, um, I just thought Todd Todd Browning's direction of this movie was super gothic, and um, you know it's set in a castle. Um, It follows the traditional tale of Bram Stoker's original tale. what (laughs) novel (laughs) um you know with lucy and um and uh jonathan harker and and all that um it's got remfield played by dwight fry who was also in frankenstein and bride of frankenstein and the maltese falcon um co-stars david manners who was in the mummy so You know, a lot of these universal actors were in multiple, because this was back when the studio system was going on. So they were in multiple universal horror movies. Um, There's just scenes of this movie that are just, have just stuck with me. Um, You know, from when Bella is first introduced, um, I thought... The Brides of Dracula that are, like, you know, the the vampire chicks that are hanging out in the castle were super fucking hot. Um, so, I love them. <laughs> Good judge. Oh, they're super hot. This they are awesome. super hot, dude. Like, I'm sorry, but if you're into undead chicks, these chicks are, like, primo. So... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it um, it just goes just just from it's just from the pure like look and feel of Dracula like that's just kind of why I'm picking this just because it just it's just kind of the image that pops in my head even when I just hear the word vampire movies that's kind of what I think about. Um, I do find like I know when Universal first put out the DVD of Dracula they included a spanish version of dracula cuz they shot a spanish version of this of the tale on the same sets like in the off hours. I actually think that one is a little better paced, but still it's the bella
0: version that's the one I go back to. Well, it's the most iconic image of dracula for sure. Yeah. And uh like because I wasn't looking at dracula movies, I didn't put it on my list obviously. But uh, there's no denying the historical importance of Dracula and the fact that it did pretty much shape vampire movies for the rest of time, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Good good choice. Good choice. Yeah. Can't go wrong with it.
1: And those vampire chicks.
0: Yeah, they're super hot. Dude.
1: Don't <laughs> even know what to say. Maybe
0: you should grow back your mullet and try and pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So let's uh let's finally hit our number one and I know it's the same movie for both of us. Yes it is. 'Cause we've we've talked about this and this is where nineteen eighty seven rolls back around and, and it's a movie called Near Dark. Yeah. Directed by Katherine Bigelow, who also gave the world such amazing things as uh Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> See,
1: I would have, I would have went point, point break break.
0: Point break with a Keanu <laughs> and, a Blue Steel been and the first... <laughs> won an Oscar for the Hurt Locker. Yeah. So yeah, she's a, <laughs> she's a really good director. Uh, she totally took her and writer, Eric Red, who did, uh, body parts, bad Moon, which we've talked about in the past, his take on vampire movies and, uh, a hit, this hitman movie called Conan and Tate, which I've heard is, uh, is really pretty kick-ass. Well Ray Scheider's in it, right? Yeah, and uh, And they've taken the Western and made it into a vampire movie. Yeah. Because this is really just about a gang of vampires roaming the desert, trying to avoid the sunlight, and, you know, dragging a guy into their gang, basically, unwillingly, because he gets the hots for one of them.
1: As we all have the hots for her.
0: Yeah, Jenny Wright is super hot in this movie. And she plays the girl, the love interest of uh, Adrian Pazdar. Yep. And, uh, you know, the thing that makes Near Dark cool is that, like, Josh was complaining earlier quite a bit about the look of David and his gang. Oh, fuck.
1: Don't don't even bring them (laughs) up anymore. Just listen.
0: (laughs) This is, I'm making a point. He's talking about that. You're looking, but then you flip the script. The same year, this movie comes out with Lance Hendrickson leading this gang. Bill Paxton's a member of this gang, and they look fucking badass in this movie. Yeah, these are the, you know, the lost They women. look like drifters. They have all like ratty clothes and they look just dust blown. And they just look like Lance Hendrickson just looks so like he looks like a guy who's been a vampire for thousands of years, right? Yeah. Like they're just, they just look so like cool. Yeah. But at the same time, like they're the kind of guys you don't want to fucking mess with. No. Right. And and that adds a lot to this movie. It hugely does. Like I had never seen vampires who looked this way before until I saw Near dark. Yeah. And, you know, I'd always kind of looked at vampires as like, you know, they're not really a, a, a big threat to me because, you know, whatever, I'm not going to let them in my house, you know, I'm not going to invite them in or whatever. Whereas these guys, you're like, I don't want to see them ever. If I see them coming towards me in that van, I'm fucking running. Oh, yeah. Like, these guys are like, they didn't care. They're very super violent. You know, Bill Paxton's character, especially, is just like one of those guys. He's like, he's a lunatic to begin with. Switch the fact in that he's also a vampire. It's not a good combination. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and it's a really, really cool, stylized, totally Western flavored. Yeah. And, you know... I can see where the inspiration's coming from. I think it's a cool idea to make a vampire movie into a Western basically in structure. And, you know, it's just the main thing, it's the reason it's my favorite vampire movie is because it's just so fucking cool. Yeah. And the cast is cool, the attack scenes are cool. It's stylized really, really well. It's just a cool all around movie. Eric Red also wrote The Hitcher. I might as well explain. I said that earlier. Bring that up. I didn't hear you say it. Oh. But The Hitcher is awesome, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. What do you got to say about Near Dark? It's fucking cool, man. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> yeah, man. It's our number one because it's fucking It's cooler cool. than The
1: Lost Boys. Yeah, and I got to say, like... What's, what's cooler than sorry, being cool? Sorry, I can't help but compare Near Dark to The Lost Boys. Well, it's because they came out the same year. I know, but we got Lance Henriksen and that fucking idiot like <laughs> leader of the the Lost Boys and like not Kiefer but that other guy. Like oh, Edward just, Herman. There's just no comparison. Yeah. Like, like like Kiefer is supposed to be like the Bill Paxton of near you know, like it's just it's just no comparison. I just don't
0: understand how an obviously superior movie comes out the same year and just I don't know really like apart from horror fans if you went up to someone and asked them like what's your favorite vampire movie? They'd probably say Lost Boys. Uh, I know. And then you'd be like, well, have you heard of Near Dark? They'd be like, no. Yeah. You know, and that upsets me because Near Dark is a superior movie to Lost Boys. Yeah. Like, I'm not discounting that I put Lost Boys on my list because it's a popcorn movie. But Near Dark is a highly superior movie because it's a more skilled made movie. The acting is better. And it's just the story is way more in line with what appeals to me in this subgenre.
1: Like, I know you like Lost Boys, but if I ever was fucking <laughs> speed dating, I would ask the girl if she liked the Lost Boys. And if she said yes, I would hit the fucking buzzer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm gonna to totally put on a wig and come to speed dating one time and see if you reject me. <laughs> I would totally that that would be that would be a deal breaker. You'd be like you like Lost Boys? I'd be like yeah, and then you press button, but be like wait. I, no, like, I would. I ask like
1: Near Dark. If, no, I, okay. I wouldn't ask them if they like Lost Boys. I would say, "What's your favorite vampire movie?" And if they said Lost Boys, that would be a deal breaker. Oh, so I'd be okay. Yeah, because it's not your favorite vampire. Because if
0: someone asked me what my favorite, vampire I don't know movie why is, you're being insecure and wished. No, I want to go with you. Gl- <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: yeah, you'd be okay. You'd be okay <laughs> if I was into guys. Oh shit! And I was speed dating, and you were there. <laughs> it would be cool, man. <laughs> well, thank God but for that. One. That's not oh. gonna fucking happen. No, it's not. I'm just not. saying. It's but not. But if they said near dark, I'd be like, hmm
0: awkward silence okay <laughs> i think i i think we went a little bit too far off track on that
1: i also want to say josh miller is really cool in this as well he was in i've talked about him when i was talking about river's edge like a few episodes ago um he was just such a unique actor at the time so seeing him playing a um vampire kind of kid was he he, he did great as well it's just as part of that group and uh, he's gone on to write final girls which is a movie that came out last year that's yeah which to... i want to see yeah, I know you do. Yeah.
0: i I don't. But <laughs> you don't like. I will. Comedies. But I. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. We, we can maybe N-
1: really watch that together. Like, it's comedy, right? So
0: Near Dark is just that really. It's just one of those movies that you see it the first time and it just oozes cool. There's but, that scene where, like that backlit scene where they come up over that. Yeah. Hill. Yeah. yeah it's so cool. But like when you first see it, you're like, "This is the coolest movie ever." But then when you actually watch it a second time, you pick up on the nuances. And you just realize that it's a really solid, kind of scary movie. And, like, the cast is just so damn good. Yeah. And I just can't picture someone going, cry, little sister, in Near Dark. I can't see someone, like, coming up to them in the bar scene in Near Dark playing a saxophone. <laughs> and if they did, they wouldn't oh, last fuck. very long. That bar scene in Near Dark's pretty the fucking awesome.
1: Rolls, the whole scene, the whole movie. And that whole end sequence is really great as well. Yeah.
0: So... I would highly recommend you, if you haven't seen your Dark, to go buy it. It yeah. is out on Blu-ray. Don't let the fact that they made it look like a fucking Twilight movie on the cover sway you. Oh, yeah. It's a great... They movie. lost that cool original yeah. cover. Yeah, they made yeah. it look like a Twilight movie. Yeah. But it's a great fucking movie and yeah. highly recommend it. Totally. Totally. Okay. Totes. So that's our... That's, <laughs> you just said totes? <laughs> god damn I'm gonna I'm gonna relegate you now to a podcast about Miley Cyrus or Taylor Swift or something alright so anyway do you wanna just uh, throw out a few honorable mentions and then wrap this bitch up I do okay I do what do you got
1: it's a little hard here I mean obviously as usual I've got quite a big list here but I mean it's just there's a number of movies on here that I just um had a hard time like deciding like what to do with so first i wanted to just mention the, the films of jean roland um just from again from a euro horror
0: standpoint like grapes of death and stuff
1: no um like the one in particular i wanted to talk about was requiem for a vampire right um which is from 1971 and this is yeah it's, it's a, this is a weird movie but again very stylized um and uh it's the first like bit of the movie just has these girls like dressed up as clowns like walking around in the like countryside and then they come across some vampires but it's just stylistic and quite visually striking so i just wanted to mention that one but he did a few others like lips of blood and fascination so he's just kind of a big director in, in vampire movies as, as far as european movies go um Yeah, so that's, should I just keep mentioning a couple? Or do you have some to mention as well? Well,
0: I was going to put What We Do in the Shadows on my list because it was a really fun horror comedy recently that I liked from New Zealand. Got knocked off by A Girl Walks Home Alone at night, admittedly. Yeah. But it's a really fun kind of mockumentary about vampires where it just flips the uh, established rules of vampirism on its head. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So there's that one. Another Um,
1: horror comedy I kind of liked from the old days was uh, Love at First Bite. Yeah. I remember liking that a lot as a kid. George Hamilton. I do remember watching it again and not quite holding up, but I do remember
0: liking that one quite a bit. I was going to watch 30 Days of Night in preparation for this episode, but I didn't get around to it. But I've heard that's a really solid modern vampire movie. I liked
1: it. I actually was considering putting it on my list and I also was considering rewatching it. Um, I did like it when I saw it quite a bit and I thought the mix of like, cause it's set in like Alaska or something and it's like all snowy and dark. And um, I thought the mix of like blood on snow was really striking. Um But you know, whenever I was looking it up, I kept seeing the image of the villain and I was like, fuck, he looks lame. But I remember in the movie, he was pretty cool. But yeah, but yeah, it's, it's all right. It's a good one. Um, another a couple of horror comedies just because i know i know you like co- horror comedies <laughs> um, <laughs> blood and donuts was pretty fun from 1993 i've mentioned it before um it's a canadian movie directed by holly dale who also did a um an interesting documentary of vancouver prostitutes called Hook- hookers on davy but this is just about a this is just about a vampire um sort of a vampire I think he was from the sixties or the early seventies or something, and then he like reawakens in the nineties and befriends this owner of this donut donut shop. Yeah, so it was a pretty good one. As was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um the movie uh with Christy Swanson and Luke Perry. I quite enjoy that movie. Um I've watched
0: that recently and I enjoyed it still. So I haven't seen it since VHS days, so yeah. I don't know how it's held up for me. Yeah, I, don't I, remember, I liked it. I, liked I don't remember it. liking it a heck of a lot. I liked Rucker Howard and Paul Rubens in it. Yeah, but apart from that, I, I don't remember too much.
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot more than I used to. Like oh, okay. It, it really kind of held up for me. But I I'm I'm not a fan of the show. I've never seen it. I just know the movie, and uh, I really quite dug it. Christy Swanson was pretty great. Um, a couple others. Um, Uh, The Addiction from 1995 Um, I don't remember this was directed by Abel Ferreira and this was like uh, equating vampirism with drug addiction yeah Um, black and white black and and white Lily Taylor um can't remember who else uh, Christopher Walken was in it um just as far as unique takes go um I don't remember particularly liking loving this movie but it was a definitely a unique look at the at the subgenre um another one at the same from the same time period was called Nadja. um and this was directed by michael armor and um I, I, this was a this kind of like I, I, when i when I watched a girl walks at home alone at night it reminded me a bit of this movie. I don't know if it was just because of the black and white and the stylized stuff this one had some comedic elements to it. Um, part of it was shot with a Fisher Price Pixel Vision camera, which was kind of unique. Um, I just remember going to a screening of this movie and the director introducing the movie and and he made this quip about uh, this is a really like dark and and kind of uh, you know imp, you know intense movie. So feel free to go ahead and laugh. And I remember people laughing throughout. And then he did he didn't show up for the Q&A yeah. after. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I also wanted to mention The Hunger. Um, yep. I haven't seen The Hunger for a long, long time, and I didn't love it. I I loved Bauhaus being at the beginning of it, but I didn't love the movie as Very a whole. Very stylized. Yeah. But um, I think if I watched that one again, it might have made my list. So that's why I wanted to bring up The Hunger. And um, also Vampiros Lesbos. I've never seen it. Have you? No. Jess Franco. I mean, this is pretty famous, uh, starring Solid Dead Miranda, who was kind of his muse at the time. Um, but I I can't really comment on it because I haven't seen it. But it's probably it's definitely a known lesbian vampire movie. I think I'm gonna go with vampires always. But um, until I've seen this one, I don't really know what else to say about it. And then, as Chris mentioned before, the Vampire Lovers is also another great Hammer film that features a lot of beautiful ladies in uh, as as vampires. And that's a take on uh on the uh, Carmilla story. Um, by uh, F, or, uh, Sheridan Le Fanu um, that's also been used a number of times in film. It um, was actually part of a trilogy that Hammer put out but that was this was the first one starring Ingrid Pitt and Madeline Smith. And the final one I wanted to mention is a low budget movie from 1993 called Darkness. Leaf Jonker. Leaf Junker and yep. uh, it really made an impression. There was a lot of stuff that was coming out at that time. It was a real kind of boom in low budget
0: like shot on video horror movies yeah and a lot of it was vampires because that was the cheapest thing to make
1: it was but i just remember this one kicked ass have you seen it
0: yeah i saw it a long time ago
1: i just remember it, it was it was quite bloody but it wasn't like it wasn't that like necromantic shock value it was just it just happened to
0: be I Remember, bloody. like i remember an early scene where it like i think there's an early scene in that where he goes into like a store or something and just slaughters everybody
1: yeah, there was also a scene at uh, like a one of those outdoor car washes. Yeah, where yeah, there's it's just it's a it's a really solid direct to video movie that um, probably I, I can't see a lot of people seeking it out, but but I just thought maybe I twig someone's nostalgia factor that was a fan of that stuff. Yeah, and I,
0: another one from around that era was from 1995. There was this movie called Addicted to Murder.
1: Yeah, I never liked those. Directed ones.
0: by uh, Kevin J. Lindenmuth. Yeah, I didn't really care for the sequels, but I thought the first one was pretty good. Did you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: With, was like Mick McCleary was in those, I think.
0: I think he's more in the sequels than the original. He yeah. He takes like backseat in the original to uh, the main actress whose name eludes me right now. Yeah, there was tons of
1: those. Like, yeah, there was so many. Like they were the zombies or vampires, but vampires.
0: Because he didn't have to do a lot of makeup effects. Oh yeah. <laughs> You just had to put blood around your actor's mouth and you were done with it, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, so um, that's it. That's it. That's it. So uh, head on over to uh, our social media hubs, <laughs> which you can get to by going to com slash GBW podcast and let us know what your favorite vampire movies are. And uh, while you're at it, head over to iTunes and give us a review and a rating because that would really make us happy and help us out quite a bit. Yeah, it's nice to hear good stuff
1: about ourselves. Yeah. Because we're narcissistic. We're totally narcissistic, <laughs>
0: as you can tell. As you can tell. Make Josh feel better for having a mullet in the 90s. I could have another mullet. I could have a mullet right now. Dude, you want. should do it. <laughs> Grow a mullet. We'll post it on the Facebook page and have people vote if you should keep it. Okay. All right. Anyway, (laughs) on that pleasant note, (laughs) my name's Chris. With me as always is Josh. Hi. Hi. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. And we'll talk to you next time. Got to be up early tomorrow, man. Okay. Good night. (laughs)